Welcome to a very special presentation of a movie club. Movie clubs are something that you can get on Patreon. This is one that is being pulled out from behind the Patreon paywall, so you can get a sense of what movie clubs are, as well as delight in the mystery and the magic of Craig Russell, the Canadian drag pioneer, who is the star of Outrageous. And what is Outrageous? Well, Outrageous is one of the first films about a drag queen, if not the first. Sure, there's Some Like It Hot, where guys are in drag, there's Rocky Horror, there's Pink Flamingos, etc. This is the first drama that's about a drag queen. If you haven't seen Outrageous yet, you're in luck, because in the episode description is a link that will take you to a pristine copy of the film on YouTube, an up-and-coming site that I think you'll enjoy. The delightful and authentically Canadian Devin Green joined me for an in-depth discussion on this film, and then following that discussion is my chat with Brian Bradley, who is the world's leading expert on Craig Russell. Brian has a terrific book all about Craig Russell called Outrageous Misfits, which also follows the very interesting story of Craig Russell and his wife. It might sound confusing, we'll get into that, we'll explain a bit, but you're going to want to get that book, and that link is also available in the episode description. And there's a few other links in the episode description. One stands out above the rest, though, as being one of sophistication and quality that I recommend you get into right now, and that's the link to patreon.com slash craigandfriends. Craig and Friends is completely independent. I'm not affiliated with any other podcast company, and though I use Anchor as a hosting platform, we're not in business in any other way. So if you would like to support your favorite independent show, this is how you can do it, from patreon.com slash craigandfriends. For more Devin Green, head on over to devingreen.com and reverie.tv. That's R-E-V-Y dot TV, because that is the place where you can get the hot game show from Devin Green and Handsome Ned Douglas, called Versus. Season 2 just came out, Season 1 is available, and it's all on reverie.tv. Okay, now it's time for the show. Well, hello, Devin. Hi. Hey there, you crazy cat. It's 1977. That's right. Are we in Toronto right now? I've got a bikini bottom on. And I've got a bikini top. TTC, Toronto Transit Commission. We're going to go over and get some crullers. I'm going to get you a bear claw. Oh yeah, nice pack of export, eh? I'll have some Demorier lights, please. Ooh, yeah, yeah, those are delicious, flavorful. I need some Smarties and a coffee crisp. Meet you over at the Tim Hortons in about 25 minutes, and we'll get this together. That's right, today on Movie Club, we're talking Canadian magic. We're talking Craig Russell. We're talking outrageous uh, 1977 film made for almost no money. And one of the first films to feature Drag Queen as a lead, right, I think? Yeah, I'm going to go through a little bit of a list. Sure. I mean, outside of Viva Las Vegas, of course, yeah. Pink Flamingos, 1972. Mm, I've heard of that. Rocky Horror, 1975. I've been meaning to see it. Then Outrageous, That's Real Drag. Oh, yeah. 1977. Would you consider Rocky or Pink Flamingos? Films? Drag. Oh, uh, yes, I would. I would, but however, they're not realist films this is a realist drama that is the difference that is the difference yeah and so this would be considered in 1977 one of the very first ones canadiana at that uh there and after tootsie 1982 torch song trilogy 1988 paris is burning right of course 1990 rose Mm -hmm. my life in pink Mm -hmm. 19 uh, i believe 1997 i'm just off you're just making these titles up i know sorted lives del shores oh sure yeah yeah hedwig of course. Yes. 2001. <laughs> it's almost time for the 20th anniversary of that, actually. 
Craig, the other films Devin. in 1977. Yes, give me a, a little taste of what was going on in the cinema. Well, in the Americas, it was Star Wars, Annie Hall, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Often I, sometimes thought to be about a drag queen. Actually not. It was not. <laughs> it was not. It was not. I just feel like we had to put the film into context in 1977. I think you're 100% right. And you know, the film uh, won the Silver Bear Award at the Berlin oh. Film Festival. Wee oui, wee. Oui. Yeah, yes. And it was a massive hit. It played everywhere. And it launched Craig Russell into stardom. Yeah. And then Craig Russell, after the success of this movie, because it really did very well, then could play Carnegie Hall. But let's get back to uh, basics first. Well, basics. Let us, should we discuss Craig Russell? We should at least talk about him for like a minute. Yeah. Okay. Here's one minute. The lowdown on Craig Russell. <laughs> he was born January in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Uh, he was an actor. He was, I guess, most famously known for Outrageous in 77. He did this, uh, the, there was a film called The Streets of San Francisco. And then two, there was oh, a- Oh, no, he was on a, the TV series. To- uh, yeah, I just figure what right. we're talking about. Yeah. We might as well listen to some Young Street like, montage yes. music. Yeah. Uh, our young and Bluer, the Bluer oh, line Bloor on Street. the uh, TTC. That's right. I remember I stayed on Bluer Street when I went to Toronto. Who hasn't? <laughs> Too Outrageous came out in 1987. Sad so, thing about that, though. It, it never really got properly released, and you cannot find it on home video. I looked for it. I have as well. And I'm asking uh, Kieran and other friends who have extensive bootleg connections to see what they can do about that because even the biographer Brian Bradley was only able to see it via like an in-house screening promo that some collector mm. had so, okay but it bombed yeah I would like to know a little bit more about it now here's the thing he identified as gay as opposed to bisexual but who was he married to well he was married to his number one fan Laurie Jenkins that's, that's right right and so he didn't consider himself bisexual although actually later on he kind of did this is the interesting this thing. is the plot twist plot twist and it's also indicative of his inner conflict with yeah. a lot of things he yeah. was a conflicted guy he, no no bones about that now in canada he conflict was, he is totally different than it is here yeah he's like i'm sorry i'm sorry sorry for the conflict uh he would be the very, fr I would consider him, uh, I I, I'm open to other suggestions, but I would say he would be the first drag superstar. I think coming so. Coming out of Canadian land. This and is something I wanted to discuss with you because I felt that that was the case. And I think when I put up the post for Movie Club or for Patreon about this movie, mm -hmm. I was trying to just think of how to describe him. And I was like, I guess he was the first drag superstar, right? But, but there was also Danny LaRue in England, right? Who was at one point uh, the highest paid performer in the UK on TV, but that's the UK yeah. and it's not international. Whereas right. Craig Russell became an international sensation. Well, we're still under, we're both under British monarchy, Queen's, <laughs> Queen's reign. <laughs> yes, now, exactly. Here's, here's something very interesting. Homosexuality was banned in Canada until 1969. <laughs> 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 they waited for the right year. It was all Ooh, part of the theme. Right? Yeah. People love a, a theme. Now, let us talk about Craig. Yes. May West. Certainly. May West plays a very important role in Craig Russell's life. Pivotal. He was a fan. Big fan. He was her he was he started a fan club which consisted of him. That's it. Yep, that's right. He went he, he, she was I believe in Florida. I think so. Or was no, she was in LA. She was LA. in LA. And yeah, so he wrote to her saying, I'm your biggest fan, I have this fan club, which he created, it's very shrewd, by the way, he created the fan club basically to meet her. So, tips and tricks for you all out there. 
Remember, Mae West, she was a huge... Enti- There's a lot of people who base their blonde bombshell creativity on, off of Mae West. W- w- maybe I should pull up a clip of Mae West. Yes. For, yeah. Mae West is also in this wonderfully horrible film called Sextet. Hey, why don't you come up and see, see me, me sometime. sometime. Yeah. Have you ever seen Sextet? No. Oh, we should watch it sometime. It's god-awful. Um, I, Keith Moon's in it. Ringo Starr, Ooh, I think. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Um, and she's, you know, she's doing the sexy thing and she's on death's door. So Mae West was, you know, oh my gosh, I've got a real fan. So she had a lot of real fans, but there was something, some sort of... Special thing she said. There was a, a, a moment of, uh, that happened between them. She got him down to California. Yeah. He became her personal secretary. Exactly. Which is wild, right? But yeah. also shows that like, you know, when you're destined to be involved in in some aspect of life whether it's showbiz or uh, professional sports i guess you know our other favorite topic on the show um you're gonna figure out a way to get there and people will recognize something in you if you're uh either a performer he wasn't even really a performer at this point he wasn't he he absorbed everything that she had to offer she was you know the wigs and the the sparkly clothing and the dynamic of talking and her intricacies yeah you know he Sponged it all in. Oh, absolutely. Every little morsel yeah. he took. And then he unfortunately took a few liberties with her wardrobe. Yeah. And that's what got him fired. Where'd he end up? Back in Canadia land. Yeah, that's right. Refresh my memory. Yes. Because I went over this a million times, but two months ago. I remember two months ago. Yeah. It's crazy, right? It was two months ago. Happy Pride, everyone. Glad we got this in under the wire. <laughs> <laughs> Every day is Pride Day. That's right. Every day is Pride Day. What happened next? With the... The next? Well, he went back and he started using his uh, these pass. skills. His, his yeah. TTC pass. That's right. He started using his skills. So he was really, if you look for clips of him online, he was really doing all the greats. Yeah. And doing a, them all from the go. From the get go, yeah. out of the gate. Yeah. Now, remember, in this film, it shows the drag queen as the leader, as a humanized person, as a real person, which is really groundbreaking. I, I would say. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If there was any drag queen in any film before, it was like a figure of fun yeah. or like the, some degenerate yeah. that, like, f- for instance, Freebie and the Bean. Did you ever see Freebie and the Bean? There's, it's kind of homophobic when you look at it today. Uh, it's been ages since I saw it. But basically, most gay characters are just like the weird creep in a lot right. of things the jester the sidekick yeah the or like for instance the stunt. agent in eyes of laura mars oh there's a few others of course i can't think of any of them right now which is great syphilis syphilis yes the, that was a big big one that played uh, the <laughs> driving circuit. that'd be a great drag name huh? yeah. i'm syphilis hello ladies and gentlemen please welcome to the stage syphilis you'll never forget us and also there was um still a lot of issues as there might still be today but definitely not as much about the um, social hierarchy within the gay community in regards to drag queens they would go watch them perform but then they would have some issues with them you know he really uh influenced some other people for example scott thompson from kids in the hall and harvey firestein oh yeah they've both cited outrageous as inspirations to continue in showbiz sure and And i think with harvey firestein he said something to the effect of like oh i'm going to just be like fully myself and all that and there's a a lot of great the dialogue is fantastic in it well, it's great that you bring that up. I thought we would do... Um, oh, would you like to... I thought we would do a little bit of role play. Oh, and we could do it from memory, too, we which can, is great. Absolutely. Now, there's a character in there, uh, Liza. 
Yes, I've heard of her. Connors. Yeah. Yes. Um, if you want to, so I'll which be, one do you want me to play, Liza you or do Robin? Liza? Okay. I'll do Robin Turner, which is Craig Russell, which is the drag queen in it, and uh, we're just going to give you that 1970s vibe. Remember, they used to talk a little bit differently. This was drama, and people would, you know, shove all the words in and be really, you know, it was from that school of acting where I've got to be based in real. I'm real, real. I'm Super not just real. real acting. I'm really acting. Hey, listen, look, look at me. I'm acting. <laughs> and so we're going to do this from memory. It's like, a, it'd be nice if we had this on paper. Damn it, I'm mad. <laughs> Life's a can of Coke. Or anyway, um. So I'll start. Now, Liza, just to put this in context, is she a sane person or a schizophrenic? She is schizophrenic. She is schizophrenic in the film. And the character she's based on in real life, schizophrenic. Was and, a roommate. Yeah, roommate and very close friend. This movie is essentially autobiographical uh, of, of well, it's it's a true story with some fabrication. La, yes, because uh, the film was based on making it by Margaret Gibson and Russell. Craig Russell and Gibson were roommates in real life yes and uh they serve the same kind of role in each other's lives as robin and liza now we'll get into a little later unfortunately they didn't have the greatest end to their relationship but um i guess we'll get into the scene now right yeah yeah liza's brain runs round and round liza's head is full of sounds liza's the one born dead liza's the one without any head I'm dead inside. You're not dead. You're alive and sick and living in New York like eight million other people. Some days I think, Robin Turner, this is your life for the next 40 years. No dazzle. So quit and do something dazzling. There are three important things in life. Sex, movies, and my career. You should think almost entirely about them and never about yourself. See, I think we delivered a really oh poignant, God, that was touching. I think so too. We did such a good job, Craig. We really did. That is actual dialogue. That is from actual. The film. Yeah, that's two scenes combined. Yeah, we pulled it. We did. Pulled it together did. there, didn't we? We certainly did. Now we can compare and contrast our performances mm, mm-hmm, to the one in the mm-hmm. film, and you'll see that ours is clearly superior. I think it's more based in realism and uh, actual emotion. Just to let you know, some of his celebrity impersonations. In 70, remember yeah. at this time, he yeah. was doing the early ones like Carol Channing, Barbara uh, Streisand, Barbara Mae West. Yeah. That would have been a very early Barbara Streisand, even back then. Yeah, sure. People saw that there was something about that character to emulate yes. and heighten and explore that character. Marlene Dietrich. It's not Marlena Dietrich. It's not. It's Marlene Dietrich. Interesting. It's not Marlena Dietrich. Bette Midler, uh, Shirley Bassey, Peggy well, Lee, Judy Garland. To do Bette Midler at the time, too, was very uh, ahead of the time because she had only just come to prominence. That's right. These are, but it, it was interesting what he went right to, what mm-hmm. he picked. Yeah. You know, and because other people started emulating, you know. Oh, absolutely. He was wildly well. influential. But also, yeah. the other insane thing is he could do these incredibly accurate. He was really vocal impressions. great impersonator. Really and his, great. And his vocal range is insane. He would have been fine as a drag queen, a, a singer of any sort. Anything. And but I think I, also because he was a pioneer, that was one of the things that was so difficult for him because he felt pigeonholed. Mm. And then later he was struggling with the idea of being only known as a drag performer. And of course the drug and alcohol use, which helped to... Um, screw his career up really yeah. he had a meltdown yeah. uh, at a number of shows he was supposed to host some big tv show like some award show in toronto and uh they asked him to not participate because he melted down 
Massey Hall or something like that? That's huge. It's huge. I think it's Massey Hall. Uh, so yeah, he melted down. He threw his wigs into the audience. He just flamed out. Drama. High it's drama. It's funny, dr- flamed out. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, oh, and here's a little bit of the wisdom of Mae West. Well, when I'm good, I'm very good. But when I'm bad, I'm better. <laughs> uh, you were wonderful tonight. I'm always wonderful at night. <laughs> Do I bother you if I look over your shoulder? No, do I bother you? <laughs> I wonder what kind of a woman you really are. Too bad, but I can't give out samples. I'll just come up sometimes, see me. Wow, so that's actually the line. It's when you come up sometime and see me. You know it's what? Been... It's funny. I didn't realize that people have been misquoting it. Yeah, for forever. Ever. Yeah, it's like there's a couple lines in Casablanca that are quoted that are actually not said in the film. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He never just... says play it again, Sam. That's right, but it's become part of the legend of it. When you have a conversation, there is usually a dominant personality. So if someone has an accent, yeah. you'll absorb that accent. Yeah. And if you're in Los Angeles, you'll absorb any personality type and be somebody Hopefully. else. Ideally, yeah. Uh, so it was very interesting that he chose those ones and he really absorbed these personalities. Uh, he did. Like he had the ringers. He, it was almost like he was uh, channeling them. He was channeling them. Which is interesting that he could do that and sort of replicate another person and at the same time struggle so desperately with his own psyche you know i feel like he took it on almost like an acting thing it wasn't you know because he was also a very good actor oh he was a great actor he's great in this yeah so so it wasn't just hey i'm doing a goofy goof goof no 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 it was very serious it was very serious based and that's why people kept going to see him over and over because it was like an actual show it wasn't just like a, a shticky gimmick because he was really delivering emotion when he was performing as liza yeah. performing as judy garland yeah it came yeah. from a different motivation a little bit different place yeah when did you first hear of craig russell because you are an actual canadian land person very true well i had seen him on canadian tv shows because he was I on just, all the time he right? was really on he, he yeah. was pivotal there's only 10 actors in Canada at that time. So they were on every show. And he had to be two of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, that's funny. He had to be two of them. That's really funny joke. Outrageous. <laughs> the only thing I've wanted to say about this film, Craig, and this yeah. will be the end. This will be the very end thing. Okay. That you're going to finish this entire interview with this. Maybe outrageous isn't so outrageous after all. <laughs> that's pretty good that's like a nice new ad for it for a nice re-release yeah yeah i was wondering what the take would be of people seeing it now for the first time because a lot of the most of the people had not seen it before and i got to see it uh at a screening at the new beverly i've had the vhs for like 10 15 years could not find it to transfer it and then i had a download of it that i got from some torrent site a couple years ago that hard drive failed so i had to go buy it online but hey totally worth it right gang it cost about 165,000 loonies oh that's right yeah that's not that much it was 165,000 because it was made with the participation from the Canadian government and also interestingly Martin the father of Liza's baby is played by Alan Moyle who later went on to direct Times Square and uh, pump up the volume and Empire Records love those two those last two films they're just amazing Mm -hmm. it was also the uh some of the debuts of like michael ironside uh, michael ironside and helen shaver oh that's right helen shaver yeah who did uh, michael ironside play was he the hairdresser the hair salon guy we'd have to look it up but you know russell did win the best actor award 
Yeah. Um, Berlin Film Festival or Berlin? Yeah, and she Hollis McLean. She won um, Best Actor and, and Best Actress at the Virgin Island Film Festival. Oh, okay. That's a big one. We're going to that one. Hey. I get to see her, right? Listen, you take it where you can get it. Everyone's okay? in. Everybody gets free admission on that one. Now we're going to hear an interview with Greg Russell from 1977 from a show taped in Boston, mm. actually, PM Magazine. This is around the time that he was playing the Berkeley Performance Center, which is a huge venue. Yeah. Slightly bigger than Jock's. Perhaps Craig Russell is now famous for his recent starring role, though, in that film called Outrageous. This evening, evening, Robin Young visits Craig Russell backstage. They talk about his special kind of performing. Hello, Dallies. Hello, Cambridge. It's so nice to be back home where I belong. start you know because uh in kindergarten i never wanted to play with the boys i always wanted to play with the girls i was very lucky because my parents uh, understood my, my parents always went along they, with me they they being an only child they knew that, that was uh, that was what they were stuck with you know so they pretty well had to make the best of it and um, my mother would uh, would support me sometimes i think she cried a little because she would have preferred to have a a doctor, lawyer, insurance underwriter, but um, I tried doing some of those things and it didn't work out. So I said I'd rather be a star, but whatever. Thank you, Charlie Belovers. Slow down, boys. Slow down. Slow down. How do most of the women respond to you? Tell me about Mae West. Tell me about how she first responded. Well, Mae West said. Um, I don't, you make a good looking chick. She says, uh, she's, I don't mind you doing a tribute to me, but uh, just one little number. She says, I don't want you doing my whole life. Slow down, slow down. something and it actually comes out of his voice and i think it's terrific we saw him in the movie outrageous very sincere for us and he's the best i understand he has a lot of talent i haven't caught his act yet at all and uh, i think it'll be kind of interesting well if he was that good as they say in his movie i saw it twice Let's see how he does on stage right now the queen of white soul miss peggy lee 
talking about his family was an interesting thing they were always supportive i think there was maybe some issues for a little bit uh but but, back in the 70s oh yeah geez from what i understand i wouldn't know no 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 these are (laughs) years and years and years before we were even thought of uh, or conceived absolutely you know but it was interesting after the the um the sourness of may west because it happens all the time in los angeles you have a celebrity and there's a sycophant who comes along and says hey i'm your biggest fan it's all about eve all over again yeah yeah yeah. and then we were discussing craig that how when they get threatened in any way right if the underling or super fan starts to present any kind of talent or skill or ability or uh, take credit or, or well even not even take credit like if they just present a potential threat yeah to the yeah. all superior talent that the person wants to think they are then suddenly they're not so happy with them yeah i've i've also seen it in la where oh sure people are trying to say well i did their this or i gave oh, them this line yeah. for their there's a lot of sad people that circle around big stars because they want to have some of the reflected glory Right. And so this this relationship with Mae West certainly soured, but it was the catalyst. Yeah. And he was a ringer for her because he had been studying her. He was in her wardrobe. Right. 
right and then later on sextet came out the same time as outrageous sextet was a massive bomb may west never spoke to him again she was not happy that outrageous was successful sometimes older stars when they're basically out of touch they get really freaked out when someone is impersonating them or even doing a tribute to them it's almost like i heard diane warren on uh, rupaul's podcast and she doesn't want to talk about old stuff she wants to talk about what she's doing now what she's doing now and i think sometimes people like lose perspective on the history of their career or oh, i know this very well <laughs> exclamation mark <laughs> yeah it's a very strange phenomenon it's it is indeed a phenomenon so this film yeah let's get into the outrageous the should we so, do should we do the plot i think we should do the plot because we have a lot of sound that we can play well, supportive right. sound i think you know what we should start off with what the very beginning you wake up there isn't there any professionalism in this club would you spin my record please classic drag club situation right Spin my record not where's my cd oh that's true right I, you downloaded the file you did a great job on this week pity he wouldn't let me lacquer his face as well the bitchiness right up there in the beginning and so he's the hairdresser to the he, stars if you will he's a gay hairstylist that's uh, craig russell playing robin turner yep and he, he works for a lot of drag queens wants to do drag but doesn't have the nerve to do it yet he needs the courage you're just dying to get up on that stage <laughs> not that desperate for attention not yet it's kind of funny, too, because the character kind of poo-poos it, like, oh, ugh, I wouldn't want to do that. You see that a lot with people when they really desperately want to do something, but they're afraid to do it. So what they do is they knock it down. Yeah. And I like that that was shown in the yeah. movie. They didn't just make him like this perfect person. Yeah, it wasn't like, this is what I've always wanted. Yeah. No, it was like... I got a dream, and I'm a happy guy, and I never have problems, and I'm also really nice to my best friend all the time. It was it was realistic. Now, here's the, here's the switcheroo. You don't see this coming. The schizophrenic friend, um, played by uh, Hollis McLaren, she turns up looking for a place. He little suspects that she'll be the one to finally motivate him. Yeah, exactly. He has no idea. He just loves her very much. And you immediately see in the interaction between them how caring he is. Because all you've seen so far is this guy who's kind of a little dismissive, a little pissy. And that's all you know for, uh, about him. Yeah. And then she comes to the door and you're like, what's going on here? And then you hear this. Liza. I was so afraid you weren't going to be home. I escaped. You're going to make the doctors real mad. Oh, no, I won't. I was never certified. It'll be all right. Sort of. I can stay, can't I, Robin? Here? I'll get my own place soon. Where they are. I'm not crazy like they say. They only make me crazier. Oh, Robin, please. Sure, baby. It won't be for very long. Doesn't. I'm better already, really. I am. She sounds it. (laughs) There was was a lot of breath acting in 1977. There was a lot of people who did that. It's a very weird way of acting, but it it showed an an urgency. Can't you see? I'm really. This is how much anxiety that I. Very frantic. It was literally a style of acting. It was Diane Keaton definitely utilized there was, and then before that there was like everybody had a weird affectation there it's it, very it, stagey because they had come from they were vaudevillian performers sure. going to the stage now this one was you know a lot of them were based on the new york uh realistic method oh sure the stanislavski method things yeah. like that yeah um 
corned beef method. Here's what I didn't get. What's that? Liza has a pregnancy. Was it the cab driver or who it was, was it? It was the cab driver. Okay. It was the cab driver. I was unclear of the penis. Oh, sure. I don't know how sperm works. <laughs> well, so so uh, a man and a woman, uh, they file some paperwork. And then uh, in about 30 days, they find out if they're going to get shipped a kid. And they use different shipping services in Canada, as you know. <laughs> but um, it doesn't really matter if it's by air or rail. No pun intended. I mean, you know, and um, or by by uh, by uh, parcel post, yeah. actually parcel post, because that's the big one in Canada, right? There's a lot of that's differences. Right. Canada has this system and they also have beer stores. So there's a lot of things of uh, the hanky panky variety that people take for granted here that are totally different there. You've heard about this stuff, right? Yeah, now I have. Okay, good, good, good. Later on, when Robin has moved to New York yes. and Liza's on her own and she's now struggling delusional well yeah and then her mom and the nurse are at the apartment and what has happened is that martin the guy who wears the eye makeup and is drinking constantly because i like also in the film that they show the level of self-medication uh that goes on no holds barred yeah no holds barred and no bar left behind so and no holds that's right and no holds misunderstood uh so martin's constantly drinking booze but i guess doesn't suffer from whiskey dick so good for him but martin's also the guy who she's having sex with at the beginning of the film you got a lot of threads kid mm, so do you get rid of them oh we're gonna have such a good time oh firm nice <laughs> pink lipstick darling for Tulum, never Leave that trick this minute and bring me blood red. I haven't got any. Frosty pink, no less. Even those fairies at Fox managed to get me red lips. Okay, okay. So then that's Martin that's there, who's like, what the fuck is going on? I also like that for all of her issues, she's very sex positive, and the film overall is very, very sex positive. We had just come out of the, uh, I believe, the 60s, the, the free love. The free love, yeah. You know, so people were still spraying all <laughs> over the place. Yeah, and even uh, during the party sequence later yeah. when Martin is like looking at the two women, Liza's like, oh, no, no, she's gay, but the other one you could probably have a really good time with. And she's still actually already with the guy. So she's down with that. And she's down, down to get down for There's sure. There's a great Halloween scene as Betty Bowers, America's Best Christian, written by Andrew Bradley, would say, Halloween is the gateway drug to homosexuality. <laughs> it's a good line. It's a good line. So let's hear a little bit more of... And that acting, though. That acting. God damn it, I'm mad. Yeah. <laughs> you God know? damn it. Don't you know what's going on here? These are my feelings. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know if this director actually went on to do anything else of note. I'm not sure. I think he did TV after this. And he directed two outrageous. Yeah. And then, sadly, also, he died of AIDS. That's correct. Within about a year of Craig Russell. Yeah. Yeah. Did he do... I think there was a stage play of this... Yes, that's right. Was he involved with that? No, he passed okay. away by that time. And uh, what is the play name? I think I talk about that with Brian Bradley in the interview that you'll be hearing in a little bit. I also like how frank the movie is about pointing out people's issues with drag. Well, Martin also has paranoid delusions. There was a lot of mental illness. A lot. In this film. Yeah, that's right. Because they met each other in the tank. Correct. It, you know, and it, I just feel like it was earnest. 
Oh yeah. It wasn't, there wasn't a stigma. It's just, Hey, this is what I'm going through. This is what, how we are. And Period. which is great yeah. because it's a very moving thing to see. In it's a weird how it got twisted later on where, Oh, you have a mental illness. Oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was just, this is something I'm, I'm dealing with. Yeah. This... And it was just straight up. But also, you know, Martin, even though he's hanging out, he's uh, having sex with the lady. I thought that maybe things were over for them after this moment. You know, Eliza, there are a lot of guys, regular guys, who really dig a chick like you. Oh, yeah? What do you mean by regular? Well, damn it, why do you live with that? Because that is my best friend. I'm sorry. All the shrink's horses and all the shrink's men couldn't put Eliza back together again, but Rob and he... Forget it, baby. I didn't mean anything. Get your hands off me. I'm tired. Shit! You know, I'll never understand it. What? Oh, why all straight guys turn out to be such suckholes. Damn crazy bitch! You're crazy! I'm allowed. Dr. Bettle said so. And uh, Dr. Bettle has also got her on quite a pill regimen. I would gobble some of those pills. Dr. Bettle says so. Dr. Bettle says so. And it's a lot of Valium. Let's get into her. Was it psychotherapy time? Was that the huge psychoanalysis? Was it Freud? and? I think so. It was a big thing at the time. But then there was also, I mean, she was hospitalized for eight years. Yeah, this was, this was a huge, this was, you have to really credit her, even though some of the acting in my layperson opinion is somewhat amateurish. Yeah. It was all done in earnest. And. Very earnest, yeah. You know. I mean, well, this scene, which is when Robin first discovers basically how nutty she's going to be. Right. He always finds me. He says I'm the one born dead. So he comes to grind my bones and powder. We were having this conversation earlier. He's a bone crusher from the other place where they all laugh at me. The hospital? No. No, the other place. The other place where the great divider ran. What are you saying? I don't understand. The other language, it's, it's hard to translate into English. Zara taught it to me. He's from the other place, too, only he's different. He's beautiful like a dragonfly. He used to come to me after the shock treatment, and he put on little performances to, to make the pain behind my head go away. Oh, he's so funny. Sometimes I tell him that I love him, and he'd go too tall for the ceiling. He'd be so, so funny. <laughs> But, but I can't let him stay anymore. I can't let him stay anymore. Not anymore. Careful. Girl needs friends. But you don't understand. He's from the other place, and I'm not a part of them anymore. The others, they still come sometimes. They think and say that the one who's born dead belongs with them, but they're wrong. I'm alive. I'm alive. Yeah. Hey, let's just call the doctor and... Check. No! No! No, no, no. No, the doctors and the white horse, they've got keys to lock up my brain. They come at me with needles and, and take me to the electric dungeons and sizzle my brain. I gotta think to fight off the bone crusher in the, in the hospital. They don't let you think. They say they don't see the bone crusher, but I know. I know. I know they see him through his helpers. You can promise not to tell anyone. It's very dangerous. They gotta spoil all special people. You gotta promise, Robin. You gotta promise. I, I promise. Oh, oh God. I can do it. I can go sane just like anybody else. Of course you can. So that also shows how uh, tolerant or understanding, caring Robin yeah. is. We see later in the party sequence that maybe he's a little into having a helper. In quotes. Yeah. When he's confronted, he feels bad about it. But I think the most important line of dialogue comes from the nurse. Let's talk about bowels. 
So let's talk about bowels. Let's only talk about bowels. <laughs> That's really, I think, the glaring hole in the film <laughs> that, is that they don't really yeah. get into bowels, bowel movements, consistency, etc. That should have been the poster. Yeah, let's talk about bowels. Outrageous. <laughs> I think we just came up with a new film. I think we did. We were talking about Liza's medication before. Here's yeah. the full rundown. Two nose and nans upon waking, uh, three volume after breakfast, uh, three Marlapan at two, two Nardole at seven, and two Valium at ten. So our schedule was a little different today, right? We had one Nardole yeah. and was it six Valium? I had three Marzipan at three. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And I had the almond croissant. And then the, uh, what was the other thing? Strudel. strudel. A strudel. A strudel, yeah. Well, I take two of those right after uh, we talk about the bowels. So after, you know, it was interesting. The very first time he goes on stage, Robin yeah. performs as Bette Davis. Craig, here's the thing. Here's the line in the movie. But if you don't eat your lunch, you don't get any din-din. That's what they're at the diner when they're looking over the scrapbook. That's right. Yeah. Here's Betty Davis. I didn't bring you breakfast because you didn't eat your din din. So there again, a misquoted line. A misquoted line taking it straight, you know, they they were not just emulating but using actual lines from films. Oh yeah. A lot of the times when Robin is uh in a tough situation or trying to get out of something or trying to make things lighter, he goes right into mimicry of these folks yeah i feel like in watching it it was a mask yeah in absolutely, a certain yeah. respect which is funny because i think it's very revealing of how he was in real life yeah it, it really uh, it really was there was no separation the right. only acting when he was was when he was trying to act with other people yeah exactly when he's being serious i like also how they get very explicit about the conditions that people are suffering what people are going through like you said before and also you see the intense self-doubt that Liza has. It's not just her diagnosis of schizophrenia. She also has this collateral damage of worrying that she's going to be a burden, that no one wants to be around her, and, and a lot of things that a lot of people can relate to. And this scene, I think, really shows that very clearly. You don't want me here, do you? You know better than that. I don't know what I know. I'm crazy Liza. You are not the only person in the whole world with feelings. What? I am depressed, okay? Why? Oh, come on, tell me. Doesn't matter. I'll slip the juice to your noggin if you don't. Caged. Like some wild, wonderful thing, I am caged in this snake pit. Hey, I know, Robin. Why don't you do my hair all up and sexy and we can go out and cruise everything in pants? <laughs> but you see there also they go into the the little thing that their their friendship helps them to get out yeah. of the moods that they're in. But again, like you said, he goes into that mask. He goes into the the character stuff because he's uncomfortable and that's the thing that makes him feel comfortable. She had a hard time relating to most people because yeah. she she was very sexually promiscuous in this and she would certainly use that as currency. Sure. And yeah. I, I think they all had their own sort of Devices that they allowed to them to work in the world, which we humanize. all do, really. She also had a certain predilection for cab drivers. Not now, Fussy. Maybe, maybe we can go for a drive later. No, cab driver. A yellow cab. The night before that, she was with a metro cab. Yellow cab and metro cab. So she's a... Uh, double dose. Yeah. Double dipping. That's right. Now she had a... Uh, she was pregnant. She gets pregnant. Yeah. And How far can we go with the plot without revealing that the baby's dead? 
Well, I mean, everyone listening. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she does not have that. It's actually one question we got was asking about what happened to the baby. And uh, the baby's dead. Still. Stillborn. Yeah. Stillborn and still dead. There's a little throwaway line at the party scene that I didn't The catch. Halloween party? Is it Halloween? I thought it was like a Christmas party they were having. There, there's been a couple of parties. There's a few parties. Yeah. Everything's a party. Oh, the Christmas party. Okay. The Christmas party. Yeah. So there's a throwaway line when... Robin comes over and pulls a guy away from another guy. And he's like, oh, did I show you my record collection? And he's holding the soundtrack to Carrie, which is, you know, great at a party, by the way. The Pino Donaggio score. Oh, my God, does it lift a party up. And then there's this. This guy, Brian De Palma, makes the most fabulous films. Makes the most fabulous films. I'd like to point out, in the drag club towards the end, giant Phantom of the Paradise poster. Announcement. Jason tints his pubic hair. You're fired. Mm-hmm. I want to work in this town. I got to stop the drag. Oh, well, now my announcement. I'm not the one born dead. Robin, I'm pregnant. You're kidding. No. I pick your fuzzy bear. Yellow cap, I think. <laughs> have you told him? Why, this is my baby. You're going to have it? Yep, right after New Year's. Proves I'm alive. They can never get me now. Babies are expensive. Yeah, I know, but we'll work it out. We'll work it out. I know we will. Isn't that funny? She wanted to have another human to validate her as a human being. Right, because she didn't want to be dead inside. And this is... And that's the only thing that she created was a dead person inside her. (laughs) Well, not the only thing she created, because she created uh, some stories that the Helen Shaver character later helps her to adapt or flesh out into um readable material literature literature which i like her approach she's not a very precious author it's really good uh only uh, these incomplete sentences like uh, she had to erupt the truth from his brain she said dot 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 she said what whatever you like if that's not how you write a story it's reader participation everybody knows the truth their own truth you just fill it in Whoops, time for the belly man. You mean the gynecologist? Right, look, why don't you just fix it all yourself? I really need the money for New York, and I'd really appreciate it. And, oh, well, you know. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And now a special word from... Hi, Divas. It's me, Rubber Child. And if you want to, I would appreciate it if you could check out the link in the description box down there, a little bit lower, for my GoFundMe for my medical transition. I would really appreciate it. And even if you can't, a little share is free, a little like is free. And I appreciate it. And I love you all. Mm, and don't you want to return that love? So that's right. Just take those fingers and go down just a little bit further and uh, and <laughs> press right where you know where you should. <laughs> oh, see, you, you already feel the difference. Now, mm-hmm. donate and share. Do both. If you can't donate, just share. Okay. We listened to Robin talking about getting fired from his hairdressing position. And let's get into that a little because there was this bias against drag queens. 
Do you feel that it was edited properly? I feel there was probably about an hour of the film that could have been taken out. <laughs> really felt it dragged a little bit. Oh, hey. Well, it is funny because when it switches into the performance thing, it's like, okay, now this is the showcase for Craig yeah. Russell. There's two films here. There are two films in it. But even though it doesn't slow down when the drag performances start, no. but you feel like it shifts into this other thing. Yes. And then you're totally not expecting the incredible end sequence, which made me cry every time I watched it. Some may consider this a muddled film. But then again, pioneering works often run that risk. Yeah, they were not judicious with the scissors. (laughs) Well, because also I I think part of the aim of it was to make him famous. And they wanted to just use as much... Yeah. Um airtime you know, for his performances it's like an audition if they say come on in why don't you show us what you can do well i um i can be happy i can sad i can cry i can clog here's my baton twirling yeah you right, know what i mean right. it's like i do everything but what do you do yeah you know <laughs> sure exactly yeah and they really had to showcase all of his impressions and with many of the impressions he does for instance streisand people have done a much more sophisticated streisand but that's now so like you were mentioning before, it's the very early, early days. Yeah. And then also some, I was wondering if some of the people watching the film might uh, not care for some of the impressions because they are people that are not relevant anymore, but that didn't seem to be the case. And we'll get into the comments in a minute. I agree. Back to the bias against drag performers hey, yes. in, the stra- in, the, in the straight community, in the gay community. Saturday is our peak day and I will not let you go flitting off in the middle of the afternoon so you can do tacky drag at night. It is not tacky drag. I do real impressions. No records. My own voice. And your own tits. No, it's tacky. All I need is Saturday afternoon off to shop and rehearse and, you know. Listen, running a beauty salon is very serious. I mean, it's all in the image of the hairdresser. Those ladies don't come in here to have their hair done. They come in to have their egos boosted by men. And if you lose that straight image, you lose the clients. Who wants to be felt up by faggots? I can think of two people in this room who'd love it. <laughs> and two people in this room. <laughs> exactly. Here's a number check. In 1977, Barbara Streisand was 35 years old. Wow. And had just put out A Star is Born, the film that he's parodying in his bit. This is a, this is a, a relatively young performer already, already to be clued in. Yeah. On it, that's different. Mae West was older, you know. The, oh, sure, older uh, and established. Was, Carol Channing had been around forever. Yeah. Also, to imitate the Barbra Streisand of A Star Is Born in an era where you did not have the access to repeat viewings of a film unless you saw it in the theater many times. Right. You only had uh, picture books and records, and but then he was doing all for moves and some of Chris Christopherson's lines as yeah. well from yeah. A Star Is Born. Here's another moment that shows the unfortunate view of some of the gay community towards drag correct in canada we perform for love the gay clubs in this town don't make enough money no one gets paid for doing drag well being gay is one thing but doing drag oh sugar he wants to liberate the denim fags and lock up the satin queen that's also kind of groundbreaking i don't think that had been addressed in a film before although actually we were talking about the first uh, gay theme films in uh, North American anyway, Boys in the Band. 
1969-1970. William Friedkin directed the adaptation of the Mark Crowley play that's l- recently been done on Netflix with Charlie Carver and a bunch of other great mm-hmm. folks. Uh, but that is an essential film that I highly recommend to everyone. And that was one of the first ones. And of course, there was a lot of problems with the actors or for the actors after that. A lot of people wouldn't hire them because they were afraid that they would be seen only as a gay person. This is something that has only recently sort of been ameliorated in uh, film. Right. Boys in the Band was 1970. 1970, right. So the stage play was on in 68 or something. And it was off Broadway. And Mark Crowley was Natalie Wood's assistant. And Natalie Wood encouraged him to write he always had these really interesting stories and um interesting insights into his community and she was his biggest supporter so that's an interesting example of the reverse of what we were talking about before yeah when you know i might have mentioned it before there's two kinds of people there's either marilyn monroe or pam anderson okay marilyn monroe on set would say there can be absolutely no other blondes i must be the only blonde really okay Pam Anderson is, I only want girls that are as hot as me or hotter. Right. She was never, she was never threatened. She was never scared or territorial of her person, like beauty or person. No, she was like, this is how you have more fun. Yeah. Marilyn had to have that sort of. Exclusivity. Exclusivity. I can't, I'm threatened by everyone. Right. So which one are you? Are you a Marilyn? Are you another can- fellow Canadian? There you go. Be the Canadian. Be the Canadian. Be the Canadian you see, want to see in the world. Oh my, that makes all the sense. Doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's also, uh, you know, a lot of the most talented and successful and respected performers, they go along with that notion of like, if you're the smartest person in the room, get out of that room. You know what I mean? Find another room where there's people who can challenge you, people who can stimulate you. That's what you want. You don't want to be the silly little prince of some, you know, ragtag scene although some people do some people that make their uh make their way like, that way. that's why some pe- not everybody is meant to be a ceo or a corporate you know they're, they're not people are happy and can handle their lot in life sometimes there's a boutique agency yeah because it's meant to be a boutique agency oh, sure. it's not meant to be bigger some people are happy being you know, a regular actor doing like two or three lines in every film. They're not a lead actor. Sure. And that's one thing, but I think uh, more, more what I meant was that some people want to be seen as the star in a, with the big fish in a small pond thing. Some people will deliberately keep themselves around people who are less talented or maybe less together than them just so that they can point to themselves as being the most superior, the most talented, the most um, See, let's see the best. Yeah, but they will always keep themselves at that level yeah. to maintain the, that, that sacrosanct position. They have to. Yeah. They have to because that's what they need. They could never challenge themselves. So in you know, it's interesting how people can really plateau off and stay there for a very long period of time, sure. gun, you know, gunning down uh, all others. And before we get off of the thing about the bias towards drag queens Correct. in the gay world, yeah, where do you think that is now? Because there's still people who say things about, oh, my boyfriend, like uh, Cameron Michaels, right, on the on the Drag Race show. You've heard of that show. Her boyfriend was not down with the drag and she ended up putting the drag away and suffocating part of herself for a good long time. So it still happens. It's not as prevalent anymore. I think maybe it wasn't just the drag, you know, maybe there was something else going on, but back, you know, the, for me, the key thing in that clip was nobody gets paid for drag. 
Now look oh, at yeah. now look what's happened in the right. year. Tw- this if you're listening to it, it's the year 2019. <laughs> it's 2019. People are getting paid. People, People are buying. Are has, paid. You know, this is a real viable career. Yeah. and a respected profession. It it really truly is now. Craig Russell was instrumental in yeah. making that happen. He so didn't know ago. it at the time. Oh, he had no idea. Yeah, it's like you don't realize you're in the good old days until you have reflection and, and can look back. Also, a pioneer doesn't know that they're a pioneer. They're just trying to do something. And I'm a pioneer. <laughs> I really do. I feel like I'm pioneering things. Yeah. I'm um, a pioneer woman. <laughs> you are indeed. And Canadian as well. well it's like Howard Stern, you know, faced yeah. so much opposition yeah. in the, from a long time in his career because no one understood what he was doing. People liked it and he was successful, but even in, when he was getting very famous, there was still opposition. Yeah, and the statistic with him is people who loved him would listen for an hour. People who hated him listened for over two hours. Right, right, exactly. And they didn't know what to do with that. Yeah, uh, and so there's another moment with Robin when he has sex. I think oh. The first time we see him having sex. That girl back there, ever make it with her? No. We've got other things going for us. Well? What? Look, I thought I had enough money to get me through the rest of the week, and I'm short. Can you help me out? What you're really asking is for me to pay for it, isn't it? I made the back page of The Advocate a couple of months back. Celebrity on my very own couch. Well, in that case... Listen, I don't usually make it drag queens at all. It's not just me. None of the guys. Hey, please, just take the money. Okay, okay. I thought you knew how things are. I thought you knew how things were. Yeah, and also, it's not just me, most of the guys. So there's this sort of bias, there's a looking down on sort of internalized homophobia because yeah. it's, oh, well, we're. Because this it's way. different than being gay. Yeah. You know, Advocate Magazine started in 1967. Uh-huh. So for 10 years of ads leading up to that point, right. there was always a secret sort of underground and special specialized language sure, to yeah. how do you connect? Oh, right, you know, especially when it's illegal. You don't have grinder. You don't have these other things <laughs> where you can just say, hey, I'm top and bottom and a delicious middle. Right, right, exactly. Well, that's why gay bars were so... Uh, Hanker- essential handkerchief the hanky coat i was just thinking about that yeah yeah and uh this is that great scene in cruising where powers booth runs down the um hanky coat for al pacino excuse me can i ask you about these what about them what are they for a light blue hank in your left back pocket means you want a blowjob right pocket means you give one the green one left side says you're a hustler right side you're a buyer Yellow one, left side means you give golden shower. Right side you receive. Red one means see anything you want. Uh, I'm gonna go home and think about it. I'm sure you'll make the right choice. I have that in my live show. I also like this moment in the bar with Robin's new manager, also a cab driver. Hey, are you really his agent? Had to shape his act for years. So you guys, wanna come to my house and play? Look, I'm just too horny to make an intelligent choice. Okay, you're up. I'll be right back. I like that. I'm just too horny to make an intelligent choice. That is a quote to live by. <laughs> it really if is. If you feel like you're too horny, wait on imp- making important decisions. Yeah, and just invite everyone over. Just invite everyone. Now, this, it was interesting because this cab driver said that he was a William Morris agent. That's a right. A former William Morris agent. Who was disillusioned with the business. Yeah, and then he gets Robin great deals. 
bargains, if you would. Well, that's indeed. But it also shows, too, yeah. a little bit of like the bullshit that club owners try to pull with performers. Again, going back to like, well, we do drag for love. You have to tell yourself that when you're not getting paid by the club that you're performing at that is making money on booze. This is something that goes on all the time. Bars and uh, clubs try to screw people out. It still happens today. Oh, that yeah. there's, you know, there's, unless it's for charity, there's people asking other performers, at least give like some gasoline money or some kind of honorarium at least have some here's free coffees and delicious snacks in the back yeah but if you're charging 20 or 25 dollars at the door and none of the performers are getting paid yeah it's jive you know it's it's jive man (laughs) you know you have to the performers are so excited to perform and you know we would most people would do it for free because people really want to perform but right Try, try not to put a performer in that position. Right, because performers have to eat as well. And also the reason people are coming to things is the performers. That's what's getting them in the place to sell the booze. Try and be mindful about that. Yeah. Let's get into some of the listener comments and questions. Rachel Jordizamo starts off with saying, this is one of my favorite movies. Craig, do you think you were the Robin or the Liza in your friendship with Katya? Mm. Uh, that's a good question. I, I'd like to think that we alternate every 20 minutes. <laughs> we, we swap that hat back and forth. What do you think? I would agree with that. There's actually <laughs> elements of both of you in both. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> less less Liza for, for you. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, uh, wow, that's a good, that's a that's really- That's a really good question, Rachel. Yeah, yeah. clever. Um, and between you and I. Yes. I'd say every 15 minutes. Every 15. That's I'd right. I'd cut it right down. Yeah. Zip zap going back and forth. Bingo bango. Bingo bango. Chingo chango. And that's also because my parents are Canadian. So that I think gives me the exactly. edge. Exactly. That's right. So thank you very much, Rachel. And uh, Rachel had seen this movie many times before we had posted oh. it. I think one of the few uh, hot dog clubbers who were familiar with it. Oh, great. I'd love to know her input on our thoughts. Yes. Same here. Christine Larkin wrote Canadian film. Yay. Yay. Double yes. That's right. Double I actually, yes. Yeah. Eh? Uh, Jim, I can say that because my parents are Canadian, so I'm correct. I, that's right. Jim Stevens, another hot dog clubber who had seen the film, love and, him. And actually, seen it six times at least since the '70s, and he absolutely adores it. And, and quotes, "It ain't easy in this crazy world." Too true. He also writes, "It always cracked him up that uh, we see some of the same extras in both the Toronto and New York City bar scenes." I love that. I love that. I'm glad he caught that. Yeah, because it was shot in Toronto. Yeah, exactly. There was yeah. exteriors that were shot in New York, but everything else was shot Correct. inside in Toronto. Yeah, there were. I told you, there was only ten actors at the time. Yeah, that's right, and including so they, extras. So right. sometimes you're a lead, sometimes you're an extra. <laughs> then sometimes they're just mirrors put up, so it looks like there's twenty people in the room, right? <laughs> Especially when one's performing on stage. Jim continues to say, P.S. Thanks for the link. Well, you're welcome, Jim. I'm happy to share with everyone. And he said he might be watching it again tonight. He's not even at the movie club level of support, yet he's excited about this. Oh, that's, oh, that's re- lovely. That's sweet. That's lovely. Jim, oh. I hope you're at the movie club level now and uh, let us know what you think. You can be a patron of the arts, I feel, if you be if you are a hot dog member. Yes. You know what? I understand. Extra three bucks times 12 uh, oh, don't talk that's, anyone out of that's anything. 36 <laughs> that's only 36 dollars yeah you know if you look at netflix or anything else yeah sure this, you're supporting a lot of talent and the quality of people that craig and katya interview and the people that craig gets in you, you don't get them on other podcasts oh, well, fyi yeah right you, you, i think casey spooner it's the only podcast he's ever done 
there's quite a few people. Fifi O'Hara, I think, was the fir- was the first taping. Was then subsequently on another show, but yeah, yeah. Y- you've got you've got some. You're going to be sitting on a catalog of exclusive dialogue. Thank you. And, and, and will- currently, I'm sitting on a catalog from Sears. <laughs> is it the Christmas special? I think it is. Let me check. Yeah, it is. Good. It I, is. I need some mittens. Good. I have a Uline catalog over there if you want to <laughs> hop on one, but uh, maybe could, after the could show. Could I have a toque? <laughs> I have a few in the cupboard. I'm going to be in a movie. Oh, that's fabulous. Tell me what movie. It's The Adams Family. That's right. It it's comes it. out October 11th. Bette Midler, Ooh, Cameron Diaz. And Devin Green. Yeah, do a couple of voice characters on that. Fantastic. What else am I going to do with this glory pop right here? That's right. You got to put hey? it to work. I got the right? orals. Yeah, you do have the orals. Yeah, you excel at the orals. Andromeda Belly Dancer and Webb Tomlin wrote, I can't wait to see it. Hopefully mm. you did by now. Thank you. And then she wrote, thank you. Just wanted to share a silly story with you about how I was listening to you guys in the bath, as I often do, and I ended up spraying my laptop keyboard with water and completely fucked it up. So the keyboard doesn't work anymore. Have I learned anything from this? Well, maybe, but that's not going to stop me from listening to you in the tub. Hope oh, you will wow. both be at DragCon New York City in September. All my love from Boston. Well, thank you, oh, Anne, very much. Sweet. I love back to you. And sadly, will not be at DragCon New York. Neither shall I. So uh, We'll see you in LA. Yes, we'll see you in LA. Absolutely. Andromeda... Uh, I like that you're a panic. I, I could imagine that you would take a toaster into your bathtub as well, or a radio. And... Or a television, as I just saw in a Murder, She Wrote episode. Because, you know, I did just get the box set. Listen, I just got, I was watching, I was in Provincetown performing, and there was single-digit television. It was that, Matlock, and... Fabulous, yeah. Old episodes of Crime, see, you know, Solve Them Who Done It's from oh, 2002. Yeah. Sure, maybe uh, that one with uh, Operate, what was it, Diagnosis Murder? Oh. With Dick Van Dyke and Scott Bayo. Hey, I've been touched by an angel. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking if I ever really actually start getting into Matlock, I might need to get help. <laughs> I'll call you Grandpa. He's sexy, though. Let's uh, Hey, he's a silver oh, fox, that one. Very, yeah, absolutely, right? Can't argue with that. <laughs> Antonia Green writes, so I've just finished watching the movie and I loved it. Well, I'm glad. A true gem. Thank you so much for sharing. Antonia, it's my uh, sincere pleasure. When I saw it at the New Beverly, I was like, oh, mm. you know what? This is the one for Pride Month. And so, yes. as, of course, we're still in Pride Month, right? When this came out. Yeah. So happy Pride, everybody. I love that this film shows the true bond of friendship and that a real friend mm. is not just there for the highs, but for the lows as oh, well. Very good point. Very that's good a, point. That's a very savvy point. Now, some of you may find it a little bit of a challenge because the style of acting is quite jarring for that time, it, it, for now. Yeah, yeah. And so if you need to fast forward a little bit. Uh, it, no, don't do that. I don't want you to, but I want you. Pause you, it. Come back to it if you need to. Oh, however, I, you know, there's not one note in here that said anything about that. It, basically, everyone yeah. appreciated it for what it is. And I'd like to mention how much I appreciate everyone in Hot Dog Club and our listeners in general uh, for how um, accepting and understanding they are of each works from yeah. from uh, past t- decades. Because some people are unable, unwilling, rather, to get into an older film. And everyone here has been just rolling with it beautifully. This is great. It's a little bit longer film. And it's like 88 minutes. <laughs> it feels in my feel. Devin apparently felt the a, film was a little slow. It's a long slow. read. <laughs> if it takes multiple watching, just, just put it on pause, but it's worth it to, to appreciate really the minutia of it. And now in looking at the big picture where it stands. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's what everyone seems to have done. Yeah. So we're very impressed. That's really great. That, the, the, appreciative of that, everyone. That's yeah. classy with a K right there. Yes, indeed. Antonia also mentions 
What happened to Liza's baby? Well, as we mentioned before, the baby did not make it. No. Yeah, she said, was it stillborn or was it taken away due to the worsening of her illness? She wasn't very clear, but no, the baby was born. It's stillborn, yeah. yeah. Gregory Garindo wrote, great pick. Thanks. Thank you. Mm. I wasn't aware of the film or Craig Russell before watching this, and I loved the movie. Russell's physical embodiment of each of the dames he impersonated was quite something. Yeah. It was a clearly well-rehearsed, well-worn, and expertly Mm. timed sort of thing. She's been in front of a live audience before. I recognize so much truth in the depiction of Robin and Liza's relationship. It was so authentic and compassionate. I'm really interested to hear Brian's take on the depiction of Liza's mental illness and trip to the loony bin. Also, that was quite a prescription drug regimen. Well, I'd like to hear Brian's take on it as well. However, as you heard in the first hour of the show, Brian did not get around to watching it. So, Devin Green and I are here for you. And we'll tell you that he has no opinion whatsoever Uh, on the film. I am Brian's eyes and ears and mind. That's right. That's right. Uh, he he meant to watch it. Yeah, he, he just did. Good intentions, right there. Exactly. Three cheers for Brian. Exactly. Hip hip hurrah. Exactly. You know the lady's busy with the tour prep and the tour touring. Craig, may I say something, please? Please, Devin, would you please say something? Ladies and gentlemen, if you will note, the Canadian accent is not as thick as it currently is now. There's ah, certain okay. words, but I. think think they were you have to remember there was the al pacino and all those new york yeah actors who were like i want to get into it i want to you know feel it yeah and i i think there was a little bit of emulation of that oh i would agree yeah the other point is that you were just talking about how great his performances were so that didn't happen for the film right he had been working like crazy these oh, are yeah. well-developed act acts well-developed impersonations and characterizations mm-hmm. as well as the outfits this shit didn't happen overnight no and also the scenarios in the film that show him uh, auditioning for something and then getting a regular club gig yeah. that's really what happened he would yeah. dazzle people and then they would sign him up and he'd be performing at multiple clubs in a week and have people there packing the houses every week yeah. which is kind of startling Sylvia Sipple writes, I really enjoyed this, found the characters likable, and really enjoyed watching their friendships grow. I'd never heard of this film before, didn't know what to expect, and loved both the story and the drag. Sylvia, thank you so much for jumping into this and uh, with such an open mind, like all of the listeners. Yeah, just having that open mind, because a lot of things right now are, hey, I'm packaging as this, and this will come out as my brand. This was raw. Yeah. This was just raw, authentic acting, depicting real slice of life, niche lifestyle at that point story absolutely and i also want to mention again how appreciative i am that uh the folks all just watched a movie that they'd never heard of before it wasn't something that was like an already acknowledged classic like for instance we just did dropped at gorgeous with trixie right and it's great doing those as well but i really love being able to share films like this with the folks you know for any of those uh listeners right now in the hot dog club that are performers especially if you're a comedian or anything like that there's absolutely no reason now with the internet that you don't know who carol channing carol burnett sure and people look stuff up now look things up you you need to study as we were talking about earlier craig a lot of the very earlier performers came from vaudevillian stages and so their their style of acting was broad and exaggerated because they were still performing to audience is not a small camera yeah and then it changed to that super realistic you know i think correct me if i'm wrong i believe it was marlon brando and james dean who started talking softly oh and yeah the minimal minimal talking just yeah. quietly talking in right. conversational voice and that had to ch- that 
changed how sound recording. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because they used to stick mics to, in the walls cor- and in lamps because yeah. people would be like, hey, you see, she's my dame, you see? And they'd be loud and barking the dialogue out in now the 40s it, and stuff. Now it was mumble quiet. Yeah. And now mumblecore. Mumblecore. Uh, and so th- the recording system had to change. And That's right. So the styles of acting really had to change. And now then there was half hours. Then there was the classic Beverly Hills 90210 act. Oh, of course. I classic. Mean, that changed everything once again. And then back. <laughs> That's right. And now the new re, um, reimagining yeah, the of YouTube the YouTube acting. That's right. YouTube acting has now brought it back to the 40s, which we appreciate feel like we're doing a good job we're really getting the most out of this I, I one i think we are i think we are it's in-depth it's very long and uh, that's the kind of show i like to deliver sylvia continues with when robin asks his manager to get Liza dressed mm-hmm. for the club that is a look i think we have audio of that surprisingly enough mm. let's hear it you're home come on stay home for dada you're home robin are you sure this is the right place for her there are no right places for people like Liza. Come on, baby. Showtime. I'm dead. You're not dead, but you're getting pretty boring. Who are you doing tonight? Someone new for Miss Living Dead. You're taking her to the Jackrabbit? No, you are. And these and this. See if you can get her to scribble something in it and dress her up a little. Me? Pretend she's a guy. Make her pretty. Robin, damn it. You are nuts. Big news. <laughs> uh, I did love the look that he put together for her. I think it was her best look yeah. of the entire film. She is pretty. She was very pretty, yeah. yeah. And wears a uh, boa or whatever it is rather well. Sylvia also mentions the extras reappearing in Canada and New York, especially one she calls Conspicuous Eye Patch Man. He was pretty good. And she composed a haiku for Oh, him. I'd love to hear it. Who is that I spy? Conspicuous Eye Patch Man with my little eye. There you go. Hi, kudos you. Hi, kudos to your haiku. Yeah. <laughs> Jim Stevens echoes Sylvia's sentiment, as he mentioned before, and he adds that he calls the most omnipresent extra mustachioed jumpsuit man. Ooh. Oof. Yes. You can't go wrong with a, a jumpsuit fashion. No, you certainly can't. Or the uh, like the leather. What's that kind of hat? The black Biker. leather. The, the b- black leather hat. Yeah, look the that's motorcycle in there. hat. I, I love the moment too, where she's coming to in the club, and she's going around looking at everyone. Yeah, and they're just standing there. They're they're sort of uh, unmoved. They're not bothered by anything yeah. that she does, and that's why when she figures she's on. also. I love the set decoration. There's that massive Peter Frampton poster. <laughs> There's a couple of great posters, too. There's an Elton John poster. There's a lot of really cool posters sitting around. I was really excited about the Phantom of the Paradise poster, though. Um, Kirsten H. writes, I've never seen this before and very much enjoyed it. I can't remember the last time I watched anything that was so unapologetically Toronto. It was neat to catch local references and see places that haven't really changed since the 70s, like the El Macombo Club. Right. Yeah. Oh, gosh, that's right. Yeah, that's a big, big club, right? I mean, like in terms of its legend. Legendary. Yeah. Uh, she also mentions those diamond-shaped signs at the top of taxis and the Shoppers yes. Drug Mart logo on Liza's pill bags. Yes. She wrote it was bittersweet to see places that have recently disappeared from the city. For instance, Honest Ed's in the shopping sequences, which became a hole in the ground for a condo about a year ago. Honest Ed's was bargain shopping. You oh, could was? go in there. It was like $5 stores on top of each other. So they had high rises, is what you're saying. It was two levels, but five. <laughs> but <laughs> two levels, but uh, one big joy. I got it. There was bargain bins everywhere. Honest Ed's is really a, honest. a staple. Oh, okay. And there was an Ed, and it was. And he was honest. 
He some, tried. He tried. He tried his best. He tried his best. It's a hard racket being in the in the truth store game. in the truth business. That's right. That's right. Um, Kirsten goes on to say, I wonder if people who live in cities commonly shown in movies or TV like L.A., New York City or London often get the warm and fuzzies like I do when watching a film that's a time capsule of their home or if we get kind of used to seeing that sort of thing. What do you think? Oh, God, this is a great question. I get turned. I loved seeing all these Toronto landmarks yeah. and uh, because it, it brings me back. Oh, I was there. I remember passing by there. Oh, gosh, yeah. it used to look like that. Look right. at how the tree has grown because now there's a huge tree there. Yeah. And even in Los Angeles, seeing because so much is shot here oh yeah definitely we, it's it's now a little bit pompous though it's like oh yeah i have a friend who lives there oh yeah, yeah. Well, people oh, sometimes yeah. love to dismiss oh yeah no Dismissive. they use that for everything they use it for everything yeah, well i don't care i still like that with the last time i watched body double or the first time i watched body double when i lived in la i was like oh my god that's literally around the corner like just a house it was on yeah. i can't remember two streets away and Everything. I mean, that's a very L.A. movie. Everything. It's all L.A. Right. But the old Tower Records. Also, the time capsule aspect. I even like seeing films or shows like, for instance, Murder, She Wrote, sometimes shot on location in Boston. Uh, seeing the old school versions of places. I love films that show New York in the late 70s and early 80s. Even terrible films like Soup for One, which is a garbage film. A terrific soundtrack done by Chic. That's where Carly oh. Simon's Why comes from. Oh. Um, but those are great because you can see what New York was like back then. So I don't know. Some people do get jaded. Some people like to deliberately be jaded to kind of show how cool they are. You know what I like seeing? I like seeing the the cars of that era. And there's something a little bit sad because there's so much now noise pollution coming out of every single store. Oh, yeah, yeah. And there's so much, there's so many electronics and things on the street, so many signs and so many wires oh, yeah, yeah. connecting everything. Right. It's like stuff on the streets and looking back it was just you know they just come out of having a horse and a carriage and yeah, you right. know? yeah, yeah. so the streets were still a little bit barren dark because there yeah. were no street lamps but yeah or giant led signs no leds that's my least favorite thing led signs i love old neon signs i'm sure there's some people who don't like neon but one of the comedy clubs near here, I think the Improv, mm -hmm. they have LED signs for their marquee. I hate it. It looks so tacky and shitty. Greenblatt's Delicatessen as well. It looks so cheap I'll and I'll never gross. eat your meat. <laughs> Kelsey Lorboreau wrote, thanks for the great film. And I don't know if I pronounced your name correctly, so let me know. Have either of you read any of Margaret Gibson's writing? And if so, what did you think of it? Also, is it true that Buffalo is burning due to capitalism? That I don't have a good answer for, but I will say I have not read one single line of Margaret Gibson's work, although I hear it's wonderful. Have you? She had, it was short stories. This was based on a short story. So I only, I, I only do long reads. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Check out her profile on longreads.com. That's right. Pinky Shuela wrote, first of all, this movie oh. was everything. I absolutely loved it. Thank you so much for making me watch it. Well, Pinky, thank you so much for going along with the assignment. Pinky. Pinky pulling through. Pinky Shuela. Listen. All the hot dog club members, as you can tell, Craig and whoever his guests are, read every single thing. That's so right. Please, if you feel like, oh, no, no, as if they would, we may not always comment on it, mm -hmm. but I can guarantee you we're always going to be looking at it. Craig will, Craig reads every single one. Absolutely. And due to time, because uh, we run out of tape sometimes. We do. We use giant tapes. But you know what? The reel to reel sometimes just gets exhausted. And uh, what are you going to do? Just know, just know that um, you're heard. 
that's a really good point, Evan. Uh, if you haven't commented or haven't submitted a question for one, and you're not obligated to, but please, please, please put your comments in. We want to see them. Please feel free to. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's not, no one's going to go, oh, that's so dumb. That's right. And also I'll edit your question if it's poorly written. Yeah. So don't even worry about don't it. Don't worry about grammar or content. No, or what words you use. <laughs> Just any of them. Put a bunch of words together, yeah. scramble them up, yeah. and I'll either unscramble or make it even more scrambled. Regardless, your efforts will be appreciated because this is a, a dynamic thing. It's not a one-sided, you know, we're having a conversation, not just between us, but with you as well. Exactly. So please let your voice be heard. Pinky also mentions too outrageous, but also notes that their pirating skills are failing them. So, uh, you know what? Join the club. We can't find it. Yeah. I don't know. It's one of those goddamn things. It's lost in the mist, sadly. There's a couple like clips. Like the gorillas. That's right. That's right. So get Sigourney Weaver on the case and uh, we'll all work together. Did she have sex with gorillas? Do you think Jane Austen? Um, or Jane Champion? Jane Goodall. Jane, Jane. I would pay to Jane see Jane Child. Austen. Jane Child, another Canadian <laughs> that we'd like to mention. Yeah. Uh, she had that crazy chain between her nose and her ear. Such a hazardous thing to, but fashionable. Hi, we're just going to pause for a second so we can make sure that your drink is topped up, your snack bowl is full, and that you're fully signed up at patreon.com slash Craig and Friends. For as little as a dollar a month, you can support your favorite queer independent show. And for that dollar a month, you get advanced, uncut, and commercial-free episodes, as well as a show called Stuff and Things, which is a weekly little check-in, catch-up, and pants-off kind of show. I mean, if you are, then we can just hustle back into the show. If we're not, take your time. Do it while you're listening. You're a very capable person, and I know that you're very sophisticated, so you can handle the multitasking. All right, let's get back to the chat. Holly G writes, while I enjoyed the movie, I felt that somewhere along the way I missed an important point or perhaps I lack knowledge of a greater context that this film belongs within. I feel like I need to rewatch it as I feel like I'm still missing something. She mentioned some of the lines that she loves, like, don't touch me. Why? I'm fat was relatable as well as the question, why do straight men always turn out to be such psychos? I, was it psychos or suckholes, which I didn't really realize it was suckholes until hearing it without the visual. It is suckhole? I think it's suckhole, but I'm not sure. It's either suckhole or psycho. Either one. Works. Well, that's a very Canadian expression. For is, example, yeah. we would use, hey, you're such a scunge. A scunge. Ooh, I like that one. That sounds raunchy. <laughs> Feel free to use it, hot doggers. Absolutely. So welcome back to Scunge Club. On a final note, Holly adds that she finds the way that they portrayed schizophrenia in the film to be rather questionable in a modern context, but perhaps the understanding of the illness at the time that the film was made was a bit different. I agree. Yes. And this reminds me, and I talk about this with Brian Bradley, uh, I think, uh, Craig Russell himself may have exactly. had yeah. either schizophrenia or bipolar, untreated and undiagnosed. Undiagnosed, yeah. yeah. And, you know, anything, just remember, um, well, I'm an idiot and I'm not a doctor, parent, therapist or anything else. But you've watched them on TV. So please, anything that I say that may be questionable, please understand that the motivation behind it would only come from... A sinister, dark, evil place. From a black heart. Exactly. As long as you know that, then we can move forward. Yeah. I have no disrespect for anybody. And, and quite honestly, with so many people who do have mental issues that really struggle with it day to day, I, I truly and earnestly empathize. If you would like a hug right now, I'm going to give you a hug. Oh my God, that felt so good. Didn't that feel good? A sonic hug, yeah. you can't really beat that. I mean, short of being in person, a sonic hug does everything you need it to. Now, uh, to that point, let's listen to the most impactful moment yep. of dialogue from the yep. film. Love this. The bone crusher, he's not here. He'll show up. Everybody gets here eventually. But I'm in his domain. I'm dead inside. You are not dead. 
You're alive and sick and living in New York like eight million other people. Listen, you're Liza. You're not Joe. You're not your mother. You're not any of the people the doctors wanted to make you into. You'll never be normal, but you're special. And you can have a hell of a good time. You know, there's only one thing. You're mad as a hatter, darling. <laughs> but that's all right, because so am I. So am I. <laughs> I've never known anyone worth knowing who wasn't a positive fruitcake. We're all not. You and me are here to love and look after each other. You're not dead. You just have a healthy case of craziness. Craziness? Yes. Make it work for you. Mad. Mad, darling. Mad. 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 That's such a beautiful piece of dialogue, and I didn't expect it to uh, impact me as much yeah. as it did when I saw it, and it still is quite affecting. And I think that's true. You know, most interesting people, they have something. Everyone's got a little bit of something going on. I don't know anybody who came out of life unscathed. Sure. Quite honestly. Yeah. But there was something about this, because once... Sometimes there's a label, oh, you're schizophrenic, you're in a buzz, but there's a lot of humanizing, there's still humor, you laugh at funerals, yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? sure, well, those are the funniest, yeah. <laughs> the dead ones, anyway. Well, of course, of course, yeah. So, to have something like this where the acknowledgement is there, well, this is what I was stuck with, you know, what are, yeah. we, what are we gonna do? We're gonna work through it together, you know what I am, here's how I present myself, Yeah. you know what I got, even if you didn't know that I had it, you can still appreciate me just as i am yeah, just exactly. take me as i am yeah which is a, a really great message gretchen writes 24 hours after viewing and i'm still crying this isn't a question it's a self-indulgent rant and i need to write it and no one needs to read it but you know what gretchen we're gonna read it we are we are thank you thank you for sharing this film you're quite welcome i'm so happy that the the film had the impact on everyone that it had on me and devon um gretchen continues i'm not a beautiful young lovable schizophrenic just a middle-aged woman with a mood disorder but this movie is my fantasy mm. to find a person who loves me unconditionally who i could support despite how brutally our culture may treat him or her this probably sounds like hetero privilege shit but it's really not it's about the power of empathy and how rare and precious it truly is this movie is my cinderella robin gets to move out of the ashes and become the queen and he doesn't even have to marry some fucking prince i would give anything to have a friend like robin even if they weren't a brilliant talent like craig russell wow very sweet, uh, but not self-indulgent at all. No. No. And but to, to have empathy, though, to understand and extend yourself uh, and have kindness to another person, no matter what. Yeah, exactly. Stranger or a friend. And, you know, to, to allow others to grow and, and grow with them. Absolutely. And another thing that that last scene that we played points out is you really need at least one person in the world that, like, sees you and that you know sees you and that you see very clearly that's very important and it's grounding you can be lost in various things but when you connect with that person or people again you're back to uh not reality but back to you know your reality i like that comment that this was my fairy tale me i didn't too. have someone a man coming to rescue me yeah right. you know we both elevated each, each other. other yeah yeah exactly 
Rachel N. writes, this is one of the most touching films I've ever seen about a truly and sincerely real friendship. Mm -hmm. And I thank you for sharing it with all of us. Thank you. And I'd like to thank everyone again for thanking me for this. This is very sweet. I'm so happy you all enjoyed it. There are so many great lines. What are some of your favorites? Love to you both. Uh, What are your favorite lines in this? I think that we went, I think we we recorded them. I just love them. I really like the Bette Midler or the Bette Davis one for the simple fact that you had to do your homework yeah, to that's right. do any sort of satirical lift right. off of the original dialogue from the film. Yeah, you had to have seen it and memorized it and also maybe seen it once or twice. Yeah, uh, It's also good, too, to look at um, historical documents such as this because you see the origins and the development of drag lingo, of drag attitudes, how a lot of the stuff that is taken for granted is rooted in scenes like the one where they they talk about the denim queen versus the satin queen, all that stuff. It's great to see the history of this stuff. And of course, this is the most important line in the film. Let's talk about bowels. This is the only line in the film. It's really the, that should have maybe been the beginning. Middle. And end, right. Kate Bosch writes, love when I watch a movie I've never heard of and end up loving it. Well, I love to hear that. This made my heart so warm. Craig Russell reminds me of Ms. Vanity, actually. Someone very talented, but also sweet, caring, and humble. That's lovely, isn't it? Mm. And knows a thing or two about hair. Very astute. Mm -hmm. You know, those friendships, I think sometimes there are certain females that just feel safe around drag queens because there's that that sexual element that it's not her, there it's yeah. not there there's nothing there's no question about it yeah it's never going to come up there's going to be no gray area at all unless you can share things yeah. with each other that maybe you couldn't with others yeah and so it, it there's always something very comforting about drag queens which i feel resonates with a lot of um females sure and i that's another reason why i thought this movie would be really fun good and all that stuff for everyone because it's a tribute to that very special kind of relationship yeah and there's not that many films with that as the central line i don't think anyway i mean outside of forrest gump lauren writes that was such a beautiful movie about enduring friendship through really difficult circumstances i loved it thank you craig well lauren you're quite welcome thank you friday writes a week later and i'm still thinking of this film thanks Mm. again you're welcome what a fine tribute to the peanut butter and jelly like partnership seen all over the world between talented gay men and the emotionally unstable women who love and need them as you were saying a moment ago and friday continues with are all the straight dudes just one ryan ginger away from stabbing some capitalist in the eye as we see later martin stabs someone and then um liza's family is concerned about her well-being also are singing queens more respected than those who pantomime well i'm going to say there um it's not a fair comparison because they a good thing is a good thing no matter how it's presented exactly yeah so i would say that there are different skills so just different it's like um one style of comedy is no better or worse than another style of comedy some people do stand up some people do slapstick some, some people, people do sit down some people do improv you know some people do sketch comedy sure some people do a scripted show yeah yeah so uh that's a good that's a valid that's a absolutely Very valid, valid question. question absolutely uh and thankfully people aren't as judgmental about that kind of stuff now or maybe they never were Danielle Callahan wrote, thank you for this movie. Truly a little gem that kept me entertained throughout, which I find so rare with movies lately. What was your favorite outfit that Robin Turner pulled out on the stage? Hmm. 
My favorite outfit might be the first, first one, one that we see him in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one when they're going, when the boyfriend is over with Liza, right? Because it's the first time we see yeah. him really doing it. Gretchen added another comment. Still too much loving this film. I keep saying mm. thank you because I move by it every time. Well, that's very touching and moving to hear. You know, it, it it's funny. If you tried to hand a script like this in today to oh. Netflix or something, yeah. it would never get... I can't, you think so? I don't think it would get made. Well, a lot of films like this, you think this wouldn't get made now. You know, movies that are groundbreaking just couldn't get made today. I do feel that you were on point when you said this is now can almost be perceived as an historical document. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because it shows the clubs and even the streets of New York that we see. We see the sign for the Ramrod Club, which was, I think, possibly the same club that's in cruising. Yeah, and the attendees. Yeah, you know, absolutely. The gay fa- what were people wearing yeah. to some of the clothes? You know, because there were definitely fetish clubs. There were sure there were a lot of different things. It's very fascinating to see. You know, if you did a time capsule of 1990s gay club or 2019, yeah, right, gay's club. You, you know, it, it's almost shocking. Right, the differences people- and everything. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, that's another good point about cruising too. That is definitely a time capsule of a. Oof. L- far a uh, 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 never to be repeated era yeah and uh, shot in an actual club with the actual, actual patrons yep. yeah so that it brings us to the end of our comments and questions from the hot dog club uh are there any final thoughts that you have on the film i was really glad that you had me here a because of the content and b because of the canadiana element to it sure canadian and- content cc <laughs> i feel like this is a little gem that's not really discussed or talked about because right. people just don't know it. So I'm really thankful that you brought it uh, the, an awareness to this. Well, thank you. I'm I'm very thankful for your thankfulness, and also no, I'm really happy that you could join me on this one as well. And I'm also happy to have been able to share this with so many folks. Yeah. And because you know when I saw it at the New Beverly, it was a midnight screening, and there was only maybe ten or fifteen people there, which is a shame. And because of all the places that you'd think might be kind of full for a film like this. Yeah. It would be there. However, it was screening midnight on Saturday, the first weekend of Pride. No. Of course, we're still in Pride Month, right? Because this is for Pride. Very correct. Very correct. So happy Pride. Uh, So maybe timing-wise, not the best. But it is a very unknown film. So I'm happy to bring some attention to it. And I'm so thankful for everyone for watching it and for listening to this, what, 22-hour show? Yeah. That's right. Your bowels. Yeah, that's right. And again, the most important thing. Let's talk about bowels. (laughs) <laughs> let's talk about bowels baby. baby let's talk about you, you and me. me let's talk about um what yeah well we forgot the i forget the rest of the lyrics of that one now there's uh one of the things also i wanted to mention before we go is how great the music is in it. oh classic yeah and it was all done by this composer named paul hofford really a uh, neat trick that they pulled all the music in the film is made for the film because obviously they couldn't afford to license anything but it doesn't appear that way it seems like oh that might be a record that could have been out at the time and even the christmas song which is a beautiful christmas clever song. yeah very clever and the haunting score of liza's theme i mean it sounds like what, is this Suspiria we're watching oh okay who's gonna get killed Oh, yeah, now we're back into the vibe that we started with, yeah. I would like to point something out to all of your listeners. Yes. Nowadays in music, it's called In the Box. You don't have to be a musician. All in every single sound of every single instrument. Yeah. 
is in the box. It's in the computer. Yeah. They only had synthesizers. Real, you know, he created all this. Yeah. The, these these yeah. are real, real deal musicians. You don't have to be a musician anymore and know notes to make music. That's true, which is which is a wonderful thing as well as... Yeah, it's uh, just two different things. But yeah. back then, it was a, it, it, you had to actually know music. You did. And also, Paul Hofford, I think, served as musical director for Craig Russell's act. So I want to play... Uh, just a couple seconds of a couple other tracks. I will be posting the entire soundtrack. I transferred the oh, vinyl. Oh, great. Yeah. Um, this track's called Lusty Rusty. So I feel like we should just play it because it's called Lusty Rusty. I have a feeling these songs, these score pieces, will be coming up on further episodes of Whimsically Volatile. Don't know why. This Oh, this is when they're at the drag club and we're seeing maybe New York for the first time. It's just background score. There's dialogue going on. It's nutty. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then there's this, which is a great little Christmas number. Oh. Cold and frosty winter night. Hey. Cast the spell of sheer delight. Oh. Children are waiting Soon it will be Christmas Peace and love are in the air Happiness for all to share Children are waiting Soon it will be Christmas There's that and then Actually, you know, we didn't mention Or we did mention, but we didn't play One of my favorite uh, confrontations in the film so before we go we should hear this it's a great note to end on a, a big blowout a big blowout and awesome then, and then we'll, exactly a big ugly fight and then we'll listen to uh the song that closes the film step out Faggot. i'm working on it okay okay cut the shirley temple act will you you might go down with lights over you don't with me what while you've been out there swishing and drinking, she's been working like some damn slave and she hasn't even had time to eat herself. She's very thin, Robert. And Joe, I didn't know she had no Oh, there's not a thing. Not even soup. Well, I'll go out for something. You are a sick, power-hungry, egotistical fag. And you need someone to push around. So around comes Liza, someone who is disturbed, someone who can't complain no matter what you do to her. Because she loves you. You think she loves you. She is sick. And you, you use her. him. It's bad for both of you. Liza. Don't do that. No one can do that. Robin. Robin, please don't shut me up here with Anne. Do I take advantage of you? No. I wanted this party to be so happy, and now it's like Valley of the Dogs. The only true thing that they said out there was that I love you. Now, even though that's a obviously tense situation, I wanted to play that for a couple of reasons. One of which being, a lot of times when people have special friendships that are unique and that are very fulfilling to both parties they can be misunderstood by other people, particularly when one of them is suffering from something. And it's a weird thing 
those women aren't looking at the whole picture with them. And obviously the way it looks at the party does present that way. But another reason I want to mention, uh, another reason I wanted to play that is that I didn't realize until rewatching that later on, and the one who's given it to Robin in that scene is the one who's taking care of Liza when he comes to rescue her. And she knows at, that she's much better off with him. That's what, when he says, Anne, I've come for Liza. Please don't give me any trouble. Okay, but hurry up before Joe comes in. She knows. Yeah, she knows. She knows. She knows that yeah. that this he's is... the one that's going to help her live a, a full life, and nothing else is going to really do the trick. It's it's kind of like showgirls. Are you just going to be in class all the time? Are you going to perform? That's right. And, you know, uh, are and, you going to be in therapy all the time? Or are you going to dance at the cheetah? Thank you very much for having me. Hot dogs, wiener, wiener, wiener. So, have you had enough of Outrageous yet? Well, isn't that just too bad for you? Because coming up next is my extensive interview with Mr. Brian Bradley. In addition to being the world's leading expert on Craig Russell, he also happens to be the official biographer of Craig Russell. And his book, which was not published at the time of this interview, is now available via Porchlight Books. And that book is called Outrageous Misfits. I wanted to ask you how you um, obtained my Gmail address. I wasn't sure my Gmail address was out there. Okay, so uh, I was searching as much as I could find about Craig Russell, and Mm -hmm. there was something, I think, on a forum where you might have been looking for either an article Uh, or some item, and it said something about... Um, I can't remember exactly what it was, but you were looking for something, and then I cross-checked that with your Twitter, and oh, I, yeah. and I just assume I figured this has got to be Brian, you know, the same Brian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's me. I want It's been twelve years in the making. I couldn't remember everywhere that I potentially like when I originally <laughs> started. I was leaving messages on actual like you know tripod page, MySpace page, message boards. Like, well, sure. I mean, and that also speaks to the absence of ready materials on Craig Russell out there on the, mm-hmm. on the net, right? Mm-hmm. He's been dead for uh, almost 30 years now. Dead for almost 30 years. And I won't say forgotten because he's certainly not forgotten, but I think he's no. an under-remembered character, especially for all that he accomplished. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I do hope to change that uh, with my book. He's come up from time to time. He pops up the um, Banger Films, who produced an award-winning series in Canada called Long Time Running, about the tragically hip, did a package uh, called From the Vaults in Hand with the CDC that looked at um, Canadian music and cultural history. Uh-huh. And it was really nice. There was a small segment in that and where Craig was included and you were looking at gay history and culture and drag history and culture through the Craig Russell lens. So it was really nice that they had thought of him with that. Yeah, that's terrific. And I think I also saw you on another CBC program. I uh, I can't remember the name of it, unfortunately, but it's basically about the thrust of it was pioneers and i just watched it recently yeah and that was great uh hearing your take on craig and i know that there's a lot of footage of craig on cbc or had there is some somewhere Uh, i wish that that would be put out i know that there's a brief clip of him on a talk show uh that's available on like one of those cbc quick clips or something um the cbc has things available online in short to get deep into their archives even I was surprised by this as a Canadian taxpayer. <laughs> you have <to> pay. <laughs> yeah, that, that is a little that is a little shocking, just given given that it is you know the uh, a public broadcaster. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that really is surprising. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, no, it's it's guarded and protected very closely. So I apologize. I'm not able to share more than point to you to YouTube and, and clips they have on their website. They do have, in terms of if you're focusing on outrageous, um, the CBC 
website in those clip, quick clips, they have a, a small one of Craig's appearance on a Canadian game show called Front Page Challenge. And it was a publicity appearance for Outrageous. Okay. Um, and he actually didn't do much publicity for Outrageous because he was outperforming his act. And it sort of was like a, a Beatles and Hard Day's Night type of effect. Sure. So he wasn't out there. It was seen as too taboo to bring a drag queen along for promotions. Wow, really? So how did they promote Outrageous? Well, <laughs> there's quite a, a wonderful story to that. So um, the film Outrageous itself was a really groundbreaking concept in which to have a female impersonator, as was the common title of the time, sure. in the lead role, as well as a mentally ill woman in the lead role, and to present them as heroes of their own life. Certainly. And, and show them as real people with um, feelings and emotions and problems. That really was quite groundbreaking. And that's what made that script and the film so special. However, um, despite the filmmakers being so brave in making the film, they were not brave in going out and promoting it. <laughs> they were very, very nervous. Um, they, they went, they were brave in the sense of they took their film, uh, made down to the last penny as cheap as they possibly could, and yeah. they took it to the Cannes Film Festival. Yeah. And talked everyone up about it. They, they sold swag and they sold gear. But then at the same time, they were so nervous to be sharing it and how would it be received? They were hiding in the back row of the theater. Wow. Um, and they had a wonderful reception, but still they weren't confident enough to take it into their own country. They went to New York first. Um, after great success in New York, they brought it into Ottawa first before their home city of Toronto. Really? They, wow. People were so afraid to bring it home to the city that they came from. Wonderful reception in Ottawa. Now, what's Ottawa like in terms of its cosmopolitan standing compared to Toronto? Because everyone knows Toronto. Well, <laughs> in 1977, it was not. I would not call it cosmopolitan at all. Sure. Um, they have an appreciation for the arts, but I would say the classic arts, not so much female impersonation. Sure, sure. Um, but at that first screening, they had a wonderful... Uh, standing ovation and applause. Um, and I, the person who introduced the film, who later became affiliated with the Toronto International Film Festival, his name is Wayne Clarkson, he compared it to the, to the audience to being like Mary Poppins, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> so they brought it to Toronto and they had this wonderful reception. And, you know, they didn't anticipate it was going to be as big as it was. So they sure. never planned for Craig to be there. They couldn't also couldn't have afforded for Craig to be there because they made this thing on no money. Yeah, how how little money, by the way, just for the uh, for the listeners who don't know. It had a budget of one hundred and sixty five thousand dollars, <laughs> and then a pile of MX cards to, to wow. get it through. Yeah, and Craig as well couldn't have afforded not to work. He needed to be out there, so they're testing their thing, seeing how the world's going to respond to this storyline, and he's out there on stages of the world having a very successful career so that's where i say it had a beatles like hard day's night type of effect so his career started uh when around 1969 is that correct um he first got his taste for female impersonation when he was living through, with may west as her personal secretary which he did at what age well when he actually lived there it was 1967 so he would have been 19 Wow. Um, he visited in 1965 when he was 17. But when he was there in 67, that was when he stuck his toe in the water and admitted to her that he wanted to try this. Sure. And May has a long history uh, with drag. She herself was a drag performer uh -huh. in vaudeville. Yeah. And so she totally got it. She understood and mentored him 
directly showing him what to do and showing him about personification and, wow. and getting into persona. But also she taught him just by example. Sure. He was a sponge and absorbed everything she did. Yeah. And after um, there, they had a falling out. He uh, came back to Toronto, um, built up his confidence and stepped out into Toronto's first growing gay scene. It's a very weird effect around the mid sixties. People seem to catch on that homosexuality was a thing. All of a sudden, it was like it was this. <laughs> there were news stories like, yeah. "Oh, the the curious homosexual trend hitting Toronto." <laughs> right, um, right. And like newspapers were running stories, and there were bars popping up, most of which that weren't licensed uh-huh. because that was a way of trying to control the population was not to license them. They were juice bars, people called them. Oh, when right. Juice and snuck in your booze. Sure. And also, was a homosexuality still legal at that time? It was illegal in Canada until 1969. Wow. Yeah. But then even after it was legal, people were charged with other things. Sure. They were charged with solicitation. They were charged with nuisance. They were charged with indecency for doing as little as dancing together sure. in a private bar or you know holding hands on a street corner. Yeah. And that lasted into the 80s. Oh, yeah, sure. The harassment um, would find its way in somehow. Mm-hmm. And in all that was Craig. So these bars are popping up. Drag is coming out. And drag was what was helped making these clubs successful. Sure. There were some clubs that were about to fail that brought drag in. And it, it made them great. It was a huge, wonderful draw, both for people in the gay community, but people in the theater community. Okay. Because Drag is not exclusive to gay culture. Sure. Drag existed in the church and, you know, in the 1500s uh-huh. where that was how congregants, how they communicated with congregants because they were illiterate. They used drama and they needed drag because women had no place in formal drama. Right, right. So drag was not new. And uh, so audiences in this period were both gay and straight. Uh But were these people respected when they were out of drag on the street? No. They were uh, harassed by homophobic people. Sure. They were intimidated by police and they were rejected by people with different moral standards and moral definitions. And also within the gay community as well, as is shown in the film, when um, Robin takes home someone from the club, even within the gay community, there was a bias against drag performers. Mm-hmm. I, I think in that particular s- subplot within Outrageous, um, actually was true to Craig's experience as well. He, you know, he was out there looking for connection and looking for love and, and looking for lust. But he was finding people who were in love with his talent. Or, okay, yeah, sure. You know, who, hey, this is a comedic podcast, got off, uh, you know, <laughs> by the fact that they just banged Mae West. Yeah, you know, certainly. Or something like yeah. that, right? And that was part of it for them. But they, they didn't love or really care to know the real person. And that's something that he struggled with in life as well, yes? Absolutely. He nurtured himself as an entertainer. He did not nurture himself as an individual. Okay, sure. And uh, to go back to Mae West, was the falling out uh, about Mae West walking in and finding him uh, in her clothes? Is that correct? Yes. Um, she didn't walk in and discover. Um, it was His actions were reported to her. I see. But um, Mae was a very perceptive woman. And she tightly controlled her trademark. And yeah. she had an amazing bullshit detector. Okay. And Craig, if when he's misbehaving, I find it impossible to think that he could hide it. Uh, <laughs> quite frankly, you wouldn't know. 
that Craig Russell was up to something. Sure. And he was. Okay. So he gets his confidence up in Toronto and starts performing. How long is it until he is kind of a star attraction in the circuit? Um, I would say star attraction in the star circuit within six months. Wow. Um, he was so talented. And what set him apart was his singing. Most drag queens of the day were did pantomime. They didn't sing. Sure, yeah. So they, here they were able to see someone who was, quite frankly, the full package. Yeah. Um, and as well, he's made it his mission every month to try a new character. So that bring, builds up some anticipation, right? Sure, absolutely. Let's, let's go out and see who Craig is tonight because we saw him last month. Who are we going to see? And he was doing the big women of the day. If Craig was just starting his career right now, he would be doing, you know, Lady Gaga and Katy Perry and Miley Cyrus and, right. you know, people like that. But he was doing the big stars of the day. So you can't go and see Mae West or Betty Davis um, or Judy Garland of the time, you know, but you can go see Craig do it. And he did it very, very well to the point later in his career, people would be crying, sending flowers, but not addressed to Craig. They were addressed to Judy and Tallulah and Bet and May. Ella. Now, did he struggle with that, even though he knew that he was embodying these people? Did that still provide a source of uh, frustration? Yes, absolutely, it did. And he, there was, it was twofold. Part of it was Craig needed, he was a loveaholic. He needed to feel uh-huh. love. Sure. And he did pick up very quickly that these people don't love me, they love my characters. And he had a hard time separating his entertainment life from his personal life. And he didn't nurture his personal life at all. On the same token, because of his emotions, he used drag for love. That was the only way he knew how to get it. So he's already a sensation. And around what time does he meet Margaret Gibson? He met Margaret Gibson as a teenager before any of this happened. They were roommates in high school. Margaret and Craig and their friends were sort of the outcasts. You know, there was flamboyant. Craig, mentally ill Margaret, she called herself mad. If you think of the how women were portrayed at the time, I think of like Sandy and Greece. And, sure. You know, leader of the pack. They were the total antipathy of that. Yeah. Um, and they fit together because they didn't fit anywhere else. Right. As is um pointed out in the film. I mean, which I which we'll cover in another part of the episode, but again, this film is basically an autobiographical tale sometimes it's listed as semi-autobiographical but and i guess you would be the person to ask how close is it to the bone it's very close yeah i I, um there's one subplot in it that um towards the end relating to margaret and her pregnancy that is that is fiction uh, but just about everything else that happened, yeah. um, in terms of incidences and scenes, like the scene where they go and they, they, they cut down a, a, um, a, Chris, a tree for a Christmas tree at a cemetery. Sure. That was true. And that uh, wasn't in the short story. <laughs> <laughs> now, the short story was called what again? Making it. Okay, making it. And then that was optioned for the film. I read something online. I couldn't find much about Margaret Gibson's later writing, and I haven't uh, found her books yet. Um, but was there a falling out between them later on? Margaret didn't walk away from Outrageous with the success Craig did. Okay. But early on, she didn't get her role or advocate for herself to have a role. Now we have managers and agents. And this was a really casual deal between yeah. her and a writer who wanted to be a director where he paid her for the rights. And this is Richard Benner, right? 
Yes, that's Richard Benner. And he, of course, yes, Margaret, we'll work together. Tell me your ideas, you know. But yeah. when the money comes into play and the cameras are rolling, as someone quoted to me, you don't have fucking time. Yeah, sure. So Margaret being inflamed with artistic license and she's pushed to the side. Yes, that was very hard for her. Sure. And did Craig stand up for her? No, but he had a job to do. And this was also his dream. So he probably was between a rock and a hard place. Of, do I advocate for Margaret and fight for her to be allowed here or fight for her ideas? Or do I go and pursue my own goals and dreams and just accept Margaret and made this deal? You didn't, you know, he probably did go through that battle. And yeah, they, they were never as close again after Outrageous was over. They, they were still in contact, but they were never as close. Now, I read something about a story she published later that was, um, I guess, a Romana Clay, similar to making it, but it presented the Craig character in not the most flattering of lights. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the name of that story? Is it Golden it's Boy? Golden Boy. Okay. Yeah. They kind of have a bit of a um, parting of ways around the time. Rather, the relationship was never the same. But um, Craig, from what I've read, was also very generous with his friends. Is that true? Absolutely. Again, Craig being a loveaholic, he wanted people around, no matter who you were and where you came from. If you were there, he wanted you there. And he also, he didn't value money and he was making a lot of it. Uh-huh. So imagine someone constantly inviting you out and it's like, well, thanks for coming. I'm, you know, I'm paying for dinner. I'm covering the drinks and getting you into the club. And here's $500 for your time. You oh, know, he like would, he would actually <laughs> give people money. There was a wonderful story of him and the band after a gag. Um, they're in the cab going for dinner at a restaurant and all the guys are, you know, carrying it on. And Craig was, who did he chat up at the, this unknown cab driver? Okay. They get to their destination. He pays the cab driver. This is in the seventies, you know, a hundred bucks. cash. <laughs> wow. And then says, Hey, come for dinner with us. I'm covering. When was the last time you did that? I've never, done I've that. no, I've not done that. Although I don't take cabs much. So it's mostly <laughs> Uber. Um, <laughs> now, did he also have a problem with trying to buy people's affections? I don't believe he tried to buy friendship. Did he pay for accompaniment? Sure. You yeah. know, he had a series of, you know, quote unquote boyfriends, uh-huh. but they were tricks. They sure. were hustlers. Yeah. There's no denying that. But is he alone in that? No. Sure, it was very much his uh, call to do that. It's not. He was never. He was never forced. He was never manipulated. Sure, Craig needed he needed companionship. He needed comfort. Nights were hard on him. When all this is over, you're just drained. You need someone there who could stand him full time. That was a hard thing to do. <laughs> so when push, you know, when it came down to it, he had a series of of you know, who we call boyfriends who were hustlers, you know, in the, in that time. And he experienced a couple of rocky financial times later in life. Is that correct? Yeah. He didn't have a lot of money again because he didn't value it. And, um, he had managers. I don't know how much of business people they were, uh-huh. um, in terms of, he didn't have anyone doing the books, you know? Sure. And, and also with that, I've read a couple of things about him having a couple meltdowns on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, when did those start happening? Progressively, uh, in the late 70s, as stress mounted, he misbehaved more. There were elements to that. It was, you just made a movie co- called Outrageous. Sure. You have to be outrageous. Right. So he's feeling out, being outrageous. So sometimes there were things that he was doing where he was not acting out. 
it, it was part of the act, you know. Sure. There's a story of him crawling on the lap of a, a village voice reporter and groping him in the middle of a show. <laughs> um, you know, was was that a cry for help? No. Yeah. Um, he was, at, you know, having fun with it. But he also was under incredible stress and exhaustion. He collapsed at a few public gigs um, and he was unable to go on stage because he was just spent, exhausted. So he overworked himself as well. He did, yeah. And trying to cope with all of this. And let's put it this way. as Two different people told me, you know, if you remember the 70s, you didn't live the 70s. Sure. A lot of things going on. And so he was in that. And it led to a big meltdown, unfortunately. The first one, the biggest one, was at Carnegie Hall, of all venues. Wow. A huge public failure that he never recovered from. So wait, uh, the the Carnegie Hall incident, did that happen Mm -hmm. in 1980? Yep. So by that time, he'd been touring for quite a while and playing um, what size venues around the world? Oh, gosh. He went all over the world. Um, He played in Sydney Opera House. He played with Oscar Peterson. Wow. Carnegie Hall was huge. And he played Massey Hall in Toronto. Uh, Toronto's biggest uh, hotel, the Royal York, had a very posh venue where people like Prince Charles entertained called the Imperial Room. He played there a handful of times. Um, he was in talks for a residency in Las Vegas. He was all over. I imagine that the pressure that he was struggling with was partly because he was a pioneer in this realm. There were, really weren't any other people that had been doing what he'd been doing. There were other entertainers, um, female impersonators, impressionists, and there's a difference between impersonator and impressionist, sure, right? Sure, sure. Like Charles Pierce, Lynn Carter, um, who had popular big careers in the U.S., uh, but Craig did become larger in that he, he had film, uh, yeah. an award-winning film. And I would argue, yeah, he was playing bigger venues and touring more i think they knew a little bit more people like charles pierce knew a little bit more balance in in terms of scheduling their career sure that makes sense because uh, uh the imperial room i read something about that there's an article an interview done a, a, around the time of that i think in the midst of his performances when he played what was it nine days in a row and then matinees included yep so that what about 18 shows and yep. he had a minor meltdown around then too, right? I mean, he was carried from the venue in a wheelchair. Yeah, yeah, uh, no doubt. Um, he played at Imperial Room yearly, 78, 79, 80, or maybe he skipped 80 and played 81. And as it went down, if you start at the beginning and went to the end, you probably wouldn't recognize the act. Okay, sure. Now, uh, some reports say that he may have suffered uh, from undiagnosed mental illness and which I can only imagine was exacerbated by substance use. That could be said for dozens, hundreds, millions of people. Oh, certainly, you know? certainly. But we, we we always talk about that on the show, though, because it's one of those things um, coupled with overwork that is such a common pitfall. Absolutely. I can't point out and say a very clear diagnosis to you for Craig. Yeah. They do say, you know, all the most brilliant people suffer from something oh sure i mean and it's pointed out in the film too yeah yeah even in his film there's a really touching scene where you know it's been all about margaret being crazy and she's acting for and i say crazy because that's her vernacular sure certainly um she's acting crazy and um and finally he's like you know you're not the only person with feelings and i'm depressed and it was that was really touching to someone like me to be like 
we're all human. We all have problems. We have to be there for each other, which is what part, you know, in part makes that film so special. Absolutely. It's a very touching film. And that's why I'm happy that we're doing it for movie club because it's, it's, uh, it's still very, very relevant. I mean, these are evergreen topics, but unfortunately not talked about all that much. Mm -hmm. Um, people who are misfits or outsiders or however you want to term it, uh, need each other. And there is a way to move forward in the world without thinking that you are defective and therefore Mm -hmm. cannot move forward. Absolutely. When did you first see Outrageous? Well, this was it was because this was before YouTube, a little bit harder to get my hands on it. Oh, sure. Uh, it probably was at I think the start of Amazon. So, okay. yeah. so like 2004 was the first time I saw it. Yeah, about that was about 2004. So, and immediately you fell in love with it? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, you know, at myself. So here I was just, just you know, embracing my own queerness right sure. around, around 2000 and outrageous. And there was several other pieces of media in that era that showed you different queer people. And um, there was a show, this is off topic of outrageous, but some. Um, oh, that's fine. The, the, the off topic is our brand. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Mine too. Um, <laughs> the television show Queer as Folk was huge for me because here your four main characters are all very different kind of men. Yeah. Um, we're not all Emmett Honeycuts. Um, so that helped me embrace my own self and accept myself as Brian and other things I do are incidental. Outrageous was like that as well. Both Craig and Margaret with their significant personality aspects were relatable people to the most boring wasp you can find could relate to those characters. Yeah. And I think that's why the film was such a sensation as well. It's not just a novelty. It's about very, very important and relatable things. And that was what the filmmakers were going for. Sure. You know, they'll say something like the female impersonation was incidental. It was about the characters and the love between two people who needed each other and supported them into being um, heroes of their own lives. And uh, I challenge anyone to not get misty eyed in that last speech before <laughs> the dance sequence and during oh. the dance sequence. Actually, it's, it's one of the most powerfully moving uh, five to ten minutes in uh, film that I can think of. Craig's mother had a wonderful quote. Like Craig's mother was actually a very conservative woman and uh-huh. she loved that movie. And she actually, you know, the Carrie Bradshaw necklace long before Sarah Jessica Parker, she had an outrageous necklace. Oh, wow. And, and uh, she, her quote that I loved was, I liked it. I thought it was a good story. You walked out singing. It ain't easy. And it wasn't. <laughs> now Craig's relationship with his family. What was that like? Craig was uh, a baby boomer. He was born into the white picket fence life with the next military serviceman father yeah. turned insurance salesman. And um, a, his mother, a conservative mother, he was adopted by them. His father had very specific ideas of how a man should be yeah. and, reject, and rejected his, his son from childhood. You know, Craig was four years old when he started putting on women's shoes and clothes. Sure, and He was not having it in it. it it affected his marriage and their family life, and he rejected his son. Norma took the opposite approach. You know, she you love him or you lose him. Yeah. And his family, who I've met, are so wonderful. This is going to sound a little funny, but they accepted him as he was in 1953. Oh, there's Craig putting on shoes and impersonating Lucille Ball, and it's sure. so funny. I don't think a lot of families were doing that then. No, certainly not. And, certainly not that. And <laughs> so that was really wonderful. And he was able to be nurtured in that dynamic uh, with his father out of the picture. Now, did the father ever come back into the picture or no? No. 
Oh, that's a, that's unfortunate. But um, Craig, you know, Craig died heartbroken about that. Did Craig struggle with being homosexual? Because in an article I read, I think the same one that talked about his time at the Imperial Room, he said something to the effect of, like, I've spent time as a homosexual, but I find more satisfaction with women. And then uh, said something about having fathered two uh, illegitimate children that he supported. It seems a little murky. And I was just curious if you found any more information on that, which I'm sure you have. Yeah. Uh, well, hey, here, Greg uh, is arguably a gay icon, but he was not a gay man. He really did not go by any uh, sexuality definition. So would um, you say fluid then? I would say fluid. Okay. He, he, he said, you would have heard him say gay. You would have heard him say bi. His humorous line was, I'm trisexual. I try anything once. Sure. Um, but you know, there's stories that he, I it is no denying he had intimate, loving relationships with men and women. Yeah. The quote that I saw, um, from him and I'm paraphrasing here was, I love women. I want to be with women. Um, I enjoy it. Uh, you know, what I have for men is raw lust. Okay. Uh, yeah. But he couldn't figure that out. I mean, there's not a, it's maybe hard for some women in his, in his line of work to accept him as he was. It was a little easier to find male love. You know, even I find that. And, and also the, the, the struggle sometimes with being bi is that there is this confusion particularly with others and even with yourself that it can be hard to define it even though you don't need to define it but you feel you need to define it so that's very understandable i don't know how much he felt conflicted between men and women there's a period of his life where he thought shit should i have just not done this and lived in the suburban and had a family and worked in insurance and that wow, picture okay. in his mind would have would have included a female wife and having children um, and the woman who he had a child with, he did love. She was a very close friend. Uh huh. And did they remain close? They they remained um, associated. Um, yeah. His his the woman who um, he had a child with thought he was wonderful, gorgeous, and talented. She wanted to have a child, and her close friend was there for her when she wanted that to happen. Sure. And he later married a woman. He did. Yeah. And they also had a you know a, a sexual relationship, and they had. A loving relationship with a lot of awkward, complicated dynamics. To get into the awkward, complicated dynamics, she was the was she the was she the president of the fan club? What was the how did they come to meet? She wasn't the president of the fan club. No, actually, my biography is a double biography. It is also about his wife. Her name is Lori Jenkins. Uh huh. Um, Lori was his number one fan. Um, right. Self-professed number one fan. She didn't run the fan club. But she had the scrapbook. She sent him fan letters. She caught him every time he was in town. She followed him on TV. She got into his art. She collected every potential thing she could possibly have related to Craig. She made a piece of art about him in school and gave it to his mother. And when she found out he was in town at a bar and she was legal drinking age, she was the first person in that bar waiting to meet him. Gotcha. Um, so she was a person who kind of was always there, who came up at multiple times. And as you pointed out about Craig having somewhat of a downward spiral. Obviously, when those things happen, you lose relationships. And who was consistent through all of that but Lori? So in that gratefulness to have her there, as well as some other factors, he married her. They married in, in uh, January 1982. I wrote a story about it for the Toronto Star. Craig called it Canada's Royal Wedding. It was six months after Charles and Di. Oh, yeah. Except 
he was Princess Charles and he and she was Boy Di. She herself was a fluid woman um, who uh, was very big in androgyny. Yeah. And they got married. They put on some shows here and then left to tour Germany. Um, it was going to be an un- unresolved period of time. They figured six months, about a month and a half in, they had a fight. Craig said, go home. Um, I will come back for you in a couple of months. Yeah. And she didn't hear from him again for four and a half years. Really? Wow. Yeah. That's quite a long time. And by that time, was he ill when he returned? He was ill when he, when he returned. Yes. He knew he, um, he knew that he was positive. Um, it's unclear to me exactly his status and, and when AIDS came into the picture, but sure. he knew his positive status when he returned to Canada from Germany. Yes. So he returns, and that's when he films the sequel to Outrageous. Is that correct? That's right. Is it Outrageous 2 or Too Outrageous? Too Outrageous. Okay, so I haven't seen Too Outrageous. I'm hoping to track that down. I actually didn't know that it existed until very recently. (laughs) Well, that was because when it was released, its um, distribution company went bankrupt. So it was never really released. Okay. It had um, a handful of screenings, primarily in the East Coast, and actually was never formally... um, released as a video cassette oh it wasn't okay no so there are some that are out there that were existed likely i'm i'm guessing here in a were made for promotions sure and probably advanced screenings for critics and that kind of thing yeah so there are they're really really rare but you're not you're never going to find one at a yard sale or anything like that oh gotcha now would there happen to be a biographer of craig russell that i could maybe a- obtain a copy from i mean you know i understand if you can't uh <laughs> that'd be fat that'd be wonderful, i myself huh? got it from the original producer oh, okay so it's uh it's not really attainable there are some clips i think i'm around on youtube a little bit small bits and you see them in movie segments that film basically it has the same characters, Craig and Margaret. Sure. And picked up 10 years later. And actually, it centers around, very much like their lives, the cost of living a public life was the subtext. Hopefully, I'll find it on some bootleg circuit. I always troll for yeah. bootleg, so I'm sure I'll... I'll oh, I'd love to hear out. if you did. I'd love to have a viewing party of it by myself. I've not got to see it very much, and I'm his biographer. His oh, yeah. family never... Outside of the release night in Toronto at the Toronto International Film Festival, yeah. where it was called then the Festival of Festivals, um, his family never saw it outside of that. So. Oh, wow. What a shame. Yeah. He had a VHS copy that, of course, his wife, Lori, watched dozens of times. Yeah, sure. Uh, but it uh, it did not sustain the time. It tests the time. Well, that's too bad. Um, and also too bad that the legacy of it is that it was a quote unquote flop. It wasn't really released, so it couldn't really be a flop. Yeah. The, it, it was enough. It had some reviews. Yeah. But it was a very different time. It was. It's really hard to capture original spirit of something. And People change. Filmmakers change. Dick Benner was still the writer and director of that film, uh, but it had a different producer. The cast was mostly different. The era was mostly different. In 1987, were people interested in Mae West and Tallulah Bankhead and Barbara Streisand? No, right? It was the height of the AIDS crisis. And also, he's ill, and I believe Richard Benner was also ill, yes? Richard Benner did die of AIDS. I don't know when he when he contracted the uh, virus, and it wasn't... Um, that wasn't a figment of the story. And in 1987, I don't believe either men, at least I know Craig wasn't, was not publicly, uh, had not publicly disclosed his infection. Sure. I, I just mean more that, um, 
you know, it, he was ill. And so the filming mm-hmm. of it must have been a little bit more difficult, et cetera. That was the thing in terms of the AIDS crisis. It was really hard to get a diagnosis. And by the time you did, it was too late. Sure. You know, by the, I really seemed what I picked up from people I interviewed. So many people died. But then it feel like it would feel like you heard that they that they were positive and that they had AIDS. And then a month later, they would be gone. Like right. It all happened very quickly because people found out so late and it, it was too late for them. It's kind of like how, you know, Freddie Mercury was rumored to be ill for a long time. But the official announcement came, I believe, the day before he passed, because mm-hmm. that's how sensitive people were about disclosing, you know, and understandably. Ah, the same, uh, Rock Hudson is another example. Sure. It was not very long after he fully uh, came out as having AIDS and, and he passed away. And in part, many people look at all the challenges in America, getting medical care, getting acknowledgement from your government that AIDS was a thing. Absolutely. I mean, what Reagan wouldn't even say it until, what, his second term in office? Yeah. There's a wonderful documentary, well, I shouldn't say documentary, fictional film based on fact um, called A Normal Heart. Oh, yeah. Um, that was put out and it was redone recently. And um, it looks at that, you know, people in New York are dropping dead and they, they can't even pinpoint down that it's a sexually transmitted infection. And the government and doctors aren't saying anything and they won't fund research and just devastating, devastating, devastating. Devastating and also leading to a lot of confusion, suspicion and superstition. Absolutely. Right. I mean, that absolutely hurt any positive vibe, support for the gay community, the AIDS crisis all over the world. I mean, even La Caja Fall, I mean, suddenly wasn't running anymore because it was just this incredible fear. Yeah. Not to dwell on the more unfortunate aspects of Craig's life, but the Carnegie Hall meltdown then led to what? Is that when he decamped to Berlin right after that? No, he tried to carry on. Um, he played off publicly like nothing was wrong. What do you want? It's an act. Nothing in my contract says I can't swear. Um, right. sure. And he tried, but he was struggling. Um, and it led to another public meltdown in a Canadian venue in Vancouver in October 1981. Could you describe that one a little bit? It was very much like the Carnegie Hall where this was actually supposed to be the start of a comeback tour after a very rough year and a half. And it was the first of, of a series of shows on the West Coast. Yeah, um, It was in the Queen Elizabeth uh, Theater. Very nice venue. And um, just like Carnegie Hall, he was in a manic state all leading up to the show. Sure. Um, night of, he's misbehaving. Everybody's telling themselves, well, he's come through before. He snapped out of it and got it done. But then show goes to start, he walks on stage wearing um, a kimono, um, kabuki makeup, yeah. with pulling his wardrobe rack, attempts to dress in front of the audience, and they're confused because this is the performing arts, right? Who Certainly. knows what he's doing? Maybe yeah. he's intending to do this. It's very different from what we know of him, but yeah. it's, it's an act, right? Is this intentional? But no, eventually he's throwing his costumes into the audience, throwing his accessories, his wigs and jewelry. Um, they're starting to stir and boo. So then he picks up sheet music. He's throwing it at them. And someone yells to him, you let us down. And uh, he says, well, you let me down too. Wow. And the show never got off the ground. Was he supposed to co-host a television show around that time? 
I'm not, he had many opportunities that came up or fell through. I'm not aware of a specific television show. He did have an appearance on, you gotta love Dr. Seaver. Alan Thicke had a talk show in Canada. Oh yeah. And he went on and, and Craig was on as a guest and he insulted the strange wife of the beloved prime minister, Garrett Trudeau. <laughs> he insulted her and she was there. And uh, he was banned from that show, and she slapped him across the face, quite rightly. Wow. Um, so that's as much as I knew in terms of the talk show. But he had many job opportunities over time that he didn't that didn't seem to pan out, in part because of business, in part because of his behavior. But after that, though, there was the resurgence to a degree, right? He meets Lori and gets things back on track. Right after they became engaged, right after the Vancouver incident, as it was called, they got married four months later. Two and a half months after that is when they went to Germany. Um, and when he went into Germany, he was adored. Part of the reason for going to Europe is that the avant-garde was really embraced in theater. Yeah. They love drag as well. Um, they love sexuality and their sure. gay culture. And yeah. isn't that funny in you know, the politics of Germany in the early 1980s <laughs> was not exactly progressive, but right. they, uh, but they were, uh, respectful of and celebratory of gay culture. And he went there and he was received like a movie star. Like I'm talking bouquets of flowers and limos. He, they stayed in the condo where David Bowie recorded one of his albums. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. But they were treated like royalty. And, you know, Lori called it just like Robin Leach's what is it? Champagne taste and caviar dreams. Sure. And that's yeah. the life that they lived there. But his, his dependency on drugs and alcohol and, um, his behavior downward spiral. He said he, he went from the biggest venues to a rat skeller, which is basically a, a German word for a, a dusty, dirty cellar. Oh, sure. And I mean, the actual rat skeller, the one that the Beatles used to play at before they were famous oh he didn't mean that no he more basically meant the lowest of the possible load oh i got gotcha. you sure performing sure and then uh, after berlin he goes back to canada and does he perform again in canada in later years he did some performing but he never reached any type of pinnacle arguably sure. uh, you know outrage too outrageous flopped he played some shows he was not his voice wasn't there his behavior wasn't there he was trying but he just didn't have it in him yeah. Um, and as well, it was, it was a toss up. There were two factors at play. One of which was he was tired, didn't really want to do this anymore. So that affects your performance. Certainly. Another part of it was, well, what do I do? They're bored of me. So I'm trying to be outrageous. And then I do outrageous things and there's a, and they're offended. Right. Right. I, I come up and tell a dirty joke and now I'm an asshole. But right. 15 years ago, you thought I was hilarious. Yeah, that must have been very difficult. How do you get, how do you get your footing? He just all the stakes were against him, no matter what. And some of um, one of those stakes was his own audience. Sure. Now, when did you start becoming interested in the life of Craig Russell? Uh, <laughs> it's a little bit of a funny story, and actually, I've incorporated this into into the biography. And what's the name of the book now? Do, do you know when it's coming out? It's called Outrageous Misfits, and it'll be released next year. Oh, fantastic! I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I was 13 years old myself, totally blind to anything homosexual, gay culture, drag. Uh -huh. And I was, and being the cool kid I was, I was watching a documentary on Canadian writer Lucy Maud Montgomery. And then there, it flashes to this commercial for the next biography about the life and times of Craig Russell. Okay. And, uh, I, I was like, 
I met it with such actual skepticism. Who is this guy? <laughs> why are we talking about him? Right. I guess he's gay. I don't know gay people, but why does he get a documentary? Yeah, like, sure. This is weird. And it just stayed with me. Uh-huh. And uh, I grew up a lot after I was 13 <laughs> years old. Sure. Um, and then I was researching Margaret, the writer of Making It That Became Outrageous, and learned about the origin of the short story. And it was, oh, my God. It's that guy from yeah. when I was 13 years old. And it was from there I started researching him around 2007. It must have been kind of a challenge to unearth a lot of this stuff, given that, you know, th- given the time that he passed away and the era in which he was really on top, uh, it's hard to access and, you know, get uh, a look at a lot of the materials. Oh, you bet. This, this got into old school research. You know, I was on microfiche, you know, for oh, this yeah. stuff. You think, oh, someone, a movie star has personal effects. Well, Craig was outrageous and outlandish, and he burned everything. He was a very angry, sad man at the end of his life. He didn't leave an estate. Really? Uh, you know, and of course, him and Lori were never on social media. They were never really on YouTube. Sure. It, it was far later that uh, after I started researching that clips of him were on YouTube. So it's, it really started with good old-fashioned microfiche and looking at names that I was finding in articles in the phone book, actual physical paper phone book. Right. Now, Lori Jenkins has also passed away, correct? Yes. She died of cancer in 2008. Are they buried next to each other? Yes, they are. Sadly, Margaret Gibson is also no longer with us. That's right. She also died of cancer in 2006. Did Craig and Margaret Gibson ever find a way back to each other? Nothing like it was. No. Sure. Um, After Too Outrageous, Craig was a broken person, and he tried to turn to his old pal. But he wasn't the same person, and he right. wasn't the person she knew how to love. Yeah, Margaret herself, she said she suffered, a, she had paranoid schizophrenia, and also said she likely had other things. Uh-huh. Um, and she had a breakdown in 1979 and, and fought for custody of her child, and she was just barely hanging on herself to get, and just barely getting by. Yeah. And then here you have your broken old friend at your front door, and... You know, it was never the same. Sure, right, because she struggled financially as well, Margaret. Oh, she struggled in every possible way. Yeah. So they never were able to find that association. Golden Boy was written after Craig's death. And what's really quite interesting was the characters in uh, that short story are Dolly and Phineas. Uh-huh. And at his funeral, you know, the funeral in memoriam books and you sign that you went to the funeral. Yeah. Uh, she signed that dolly. I see. Yeah. So that gives you an indication of how she was feeling about that. Yeah. How she was feeling, how she was feeling about Craig and ties that the short story really was her, her tribute to him or her perspective of what had happened to them. And, you know, there's a wonderful line. Again, I'm going to paraphrase something along the lines of, I loved Phineas, but now that's way in the past in a pile of broken hopes and broken dreams. And, and that's a, likely exactly where they were sure well that's sad but uh, the message of the film is still valid oh, absolutely. even though yeah yeah that certainly doesn't change anything um and i know uh before i let you go and thanks so much for all your time by the way no problem uh, um in terms of shooting the film the scenes in the bars are quite fantastic and mm-hmm. a, a couple people have noted <laughs> in our comments and questions thread for the film that uh surprisingly a lot of the same people are in the toronto and new york bars <laughs> yeah uh it's um some of the 
the one venue that they used for both films was called Club Manatee. Uh-huh. Um, it was one of the first of a dozen uh, gay bars in Toronto opened by a gay couple. Yeah. Uh, the first, and actually, um, I don't remember, it was Derek and Renee. One of the two of them is Cameo in the film. He's the DJ. Oh, okay. And actually, to save money, they did not bring in queens. The queens who were performing were Toronto queens, one sure. of which is Rusty Ryan. Oh, okay. Uh, who became a, you know, huge, uh, had a huge drag career, um, in Canada. I don't remember his name, but he was the bartender and drag performer in the New York bar, the Jack Rabbit Club. Okay. Gotcha. Um, so there, there's a lot of ties to home. Um, they also filmed in a Toronto hotel, the Harbor Weston in the theater, made a theater there. Yeah. Scenes. So it's, um, there's a lot of ties to home and a lot of familiar faces and it, it very well reflected Toronto. Um, in the opening scene, Margaret's running along Queen Street and running through the bank towers looking for her friends. That's Toronto in 1977. And it ad- also adequately reflected the grittiness of youth. Certainly. And as far as the other cast members, um, I can't remember the, I'm blanking on the cab driver's name, the, his manager at the end. What's his name? Oh, he became a big guy. Um, oh shoot. Now I'm gonna have to look that up. Now I'm gonna have you. Oh, listen, I'm, I'm glad that you forgot too. <laughs> it made me feel I'm forgetting off the top of my head. Alan Moyle. Oh, hold on. The, uh, in, in the cast, Alan Moyle plays, I believe, Martin, the cab driver who's yes. hanging out with, um, the Margaret character, Liza. And he, of course, as many people know, is the director of the cult classics, Times Square, Pump Up the Volume and Empire Pump Records. Up the volume. There we go. Yeah. Yes. So pump up the volume, Empire Records. Hello, that's sure. my teenage. Yeah, and, um, and Times Square, of course, classic. Yeah, and then Helen Shaver. She wasn't in the film very much. She was a quite big Canadian actress, but she'd also been in The Color of Money and The Craft. Oh right, yeah. So she played Joe, who really was an antagon, you know, antagonistic character. Yeah, uh, she was not too happy with Robin at the party, right? Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. And um, who played the? Um, is it Dennis? The uh, I should look this up. The uh, the the New York cab driver who becomes Robin's manager. Oh, okay, hold on. And that's too bad. I'm sorry, I don't want. No, 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 don't be. I, I, I should have had my records. <laughs> I should have had the IMDb up, and I didn't. I was actually kind of thinking. I was like, wow, if I was in that era, I probably would think that you were sexy um, <laughs> in that time. Yeah. Um, and I looked him up recently, and he's actually dead. Um, oh, Dave, he is. Uh, David McIlwraith. Yeah, that's yeah. that's him. Yeah, that's right. Dear, David McIlwraith, and I'm sorry, he's not dead. <laughs> okay, no, that's that, that's quite all right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So Bob's character is pretty interesting as well, and I like the um, also just the frankness with which the queer scene is shown in the film, which also really up until that point you had not seen in a film. I like the fact he was he was promiscuous. It showed yeah. the promiscuity side of things. That, yeah, there's people in the bar looking to get laid. Hello. And, um, yeah, that's happened once or twice at a bar. Especially, I would say, in that time, it was before the AIDS crisis. People were a little more carefree and there wasn't fear of murder. And, and <laughs> sure. And, yeah. And also the casualness with which he flips back and forth between doing a little business chat with Robin right before he takes those fellas home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, <laughs> well, what does is, what is Craig's character say when they meet? He's like, Jesus, is anybody straight anymore? You know, <laughs> and that was another thing too. Is like in late seventies, it felt like homosexuality was everywhere. It was coming up everywhere, yeah. you know. And um, the idea of playing with gender, David Bowie, Freddie Mercury, certainly, yeah, um, yeah. We we're here, and we've always been here, but 
we're here now and we're not going away. Absolutely. So before we close, is there any favorite Craig Russell story, anecdote, or fact that you'd like to share with us? I, have, I, I might give you a few. Sounds Craig, good. Um, he was so excitable. Yeah. And when he needed it, and he, but he never also said it very well. But when he needed love and someone showed him love, he was so excitable. You know, there was someone who said, oh, you know, as she, this woman, she runs a fur, she ran a fur shop and he would, he didn't have any money and she would load him furs and he'd go in and, yeah. and yeah, sure, Craig, you can borrow a fur and go out for a while. And she jumped onto his lap and rubbed himself, his face all over her and just covered her in his own makeup, covering her with kisses uh. because he was so grateful that someone was being kind to him. Yeah. Um, and there's a really outrageous story that I'll share with you. And it's like, whoa. And his manager, um, at the, in late eighties yeah. and his wife, wonderful couple, really, I'll say liberal, relaxed couple, comfortable with anything. They lived in a really laid back, um, I'll say hippy dippy neighborhood of Toronto called the beaches. Um, in the 1980s and they lived in a duplex and next door they had a gay couple move in but the gay couple were really kind of uptight and prissy uh-huh. and really quite rude to them uh-huh. and uh, they were telling Craig Craig this and Craig was good at standing up for the little guy yeah. if he was feeling strong and Craig rent, dressed up in his I think it was his Bette Midler so he's wearing a red corset and tutu uh-huh. and leggings he's all leg and heels and his, his big red curly hair wig. And even though he lived up the block, got a limo <laughs> and had the limo pull up. And he's standing at the sunroof with a, a megaphone. Where is my manager? Uh-huh. I need to find my manager through this quiet little Toronto street. And outside is this gay couple watching all this. And they're just slack jaw horrified. Like, oh, my God. What yeah. is, we're trying to live a quiet little life here. And Craig strolls up to them. And his, in his outfit climbs on their lap and says, I hear you don't like my manager very much. Are you straight aphobic? <laughs> if you can't heat, take the heat, get out of the kitchen. And, uh, the couple a month later, no word of a lie, moved. That's fantastic. That's a so great that one. That is the heart of Craig being loving and fun and outrageous and feeling good about himself. And that is how he deserved to feel. But the heartbreak is he didn't always. True. But uh, lovely stories like that really help to keep the memory alive. And as Mm -hmm. will your book, which I'm really looking forward to. And Brian, I can't thank you enough for joining us on this movie club. I think, no, thank you. And I think it's going to be very illuminating for our listeners and they'll really appreciate it. And your affinity and and affection for the material also really comes through. Oh, thanks. It ain't easy in this crazy world, Craig. And that's, that's strictly from the movie. Couldn't be more true. And thank you all so much for listening, contributing, and for watching. We'll see you next time.